kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? and gentlemen and welcome to Auntie Nanny <clears throat> as is traditional wow my voice sounds so bad as is traditional we will start the program with the Kassab update portion of the evening um, good evening and welcome to the Kassab update for the week of 5-5-2017 my name is Jen Johnson I'm a board member of Kassab and joining me is Alex Clark who is the executive director of Kassab Hi, Alex. How are you this evening? Good. How are you doing? I'm very good. Um, so, as is traditional, what's new and exciting this week, Alex? <laughs> um, well, we had some really interesting news at the beginning, okay. an interesting news day at the beginning of the week. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm going to get to that okay. uh, after a couple of other notes. Okay. Um, I did get uh, alerted to a bill in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. um, HB 1309, uh, which this is another run at uh, including vaping in the state's indoor clean air law. Um, this bill was, uh, it was introduced today and assigned to the health, uh, the House Health Committee. And the bill's sponsor is the chairperson of that committee. So um, you, you can pretty much expect it to sail through that. Um, we'll talk about engaging at other points. Uh, I don't have a hearing date. I don't know if one has been established, but uh, just so everybody in Pennsylvania is aware, there's an indoor vaping ban that's on the horizon. <sighs> um, and uh, yeah, with uh, you know, <laughs> with, with with all the stuff that's going on in Pennsylvania, I also was seeing some posts. Um, you know, there is a concerted effort to fix the tax situation in Pennsylvania. And um, sure. I, I got I, I think to kind of um, add a, a, another voice to some of the posts I've been seeing, um, it, it, that, that stuff doesn't happen for free. Um, there, there is a bill that needs to, you know, it, that comes along with hiring a lobbyist and okay. somehow that money's got to be made up. So um, if you're in Pennsylvania, if you're a retailer in Pennsylvania, get together with the state trade association um, sure. and, um, you know, 
put up some membership dues. Uh, I, I, it's, you know, it's, you know, even the stuff that, that we do that Casa does, this doesn't happen for free. We pay for the services that we use to send out, you know, to put up the calls to action. We have some, we, we keep our operating costs as low as we possibly can, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, um, there are things that need to be paid for. So, um, it's, you know, I, I think everybody may have this, this notion that, um, you know, I think when you see thousands of people in the streets waving signs and chanting, um, you know, that somehow that stuff happens spontaneously and for free. Um, it, it might be the case in a couple of instances, sure. uh, but it, you know, there, there is actually a lot of money, money that goes into things. Yes. Um, so uh, it, it's very helpful to have donations flowing to the groups that are, are focusing those resources in, in the right direction to advance our, our goals. So um, sure. again, Pennsylvania, um, yeah, it, it definitely in need of some funding. Yes. Um, off of that, uh, the uh, other thing that kind of came up this week um, sure. is in Maryland, um, Mm-hmm. Those who have been following Maryland, House Bill 523 was passed by the legislature. It has been sent to the governor for his signature. Um, and this bill enacts some licensing requirements. Um, and, and one of it, it's it's just such a it, ugh, it, it's it's a very clumsily written bill. And within the descriptions of the various licenses. Right. The um, so you have a manufacturer's license, you have a wholesaler's license, right. you have a retailer's license, and then you have a okay. vape shop license. And within, did they have to get all of those? No, you okay. uh, you can a manufacturer, I believe, can have both a okay. uh, manufacturer's license and a retailer's license. Okay. Um, and that was to sort of take care of you know some of these independent shops are also making their own e-liquid. Mm-hmm. Um, with no comment to what kind of facilities they're using, but it's just, that's a, that's a fact that's part of the vapor right. industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, you know, you want to make sure that you're allowing those people to stay in business, right. but within all of those definitions, the only license that will allow you to, to make internet sales mm-hmm. is a manufacturer's license. So make <laughs> no, it doesn't make sense. And this was something that, that everybody worked hard to, um, clarify and keep out. There was there was just an all out online sales ban in the original version, yes. um, and that got removed and put back in and removed. And then in the eleventh hour, this weird limited online sales ban was put back in. Um, okay. You know, with very there was no discussion or talking with stakeholders or anything like that. It was done just you know, bang, yeah, yeah. Uh, within hours of of you know a deadline. So. Um, there is now, uh, we have an engagement up, I believe the Maryland vaping association also has their own push for, for retailers to get involved, um, urging governor Hogan to veto this bill. Yes. Um, and, and it's, it's unfortunate because, uh, you know, we've said this several times, the trade associations have said this several times is that, um, you know, we, we have no problem with vapor businesses being licensed or registered with the state there's right. there's an obvious benefit to that it makes uh enforcement 
of uh, you know uh, restricting sales to miners mm-hmm. easier. It makes it more right. efficient. Sure. And and I think that I, I think that you know businesses who are in compliance are happy to demonstrate that they are doing the right thing. Sure. And um, and so you know that's fine. You know, for a nominal fee, you can you can implement that mm-hmm. regulation and, and 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 you know the business people that I've met <laughs> are, <laughs> are are happy to go through with something like that. But mm-hmm. this goes well beyond that and it's it's just way too complicated to really achieve um you know the 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 goals that the state should want to achieve right um so uh again uh people in maryland uh can send an email to governor hogan urging him to veto hb 523 okay and i think that's what i've got from the state stuff there was a bill there's a tax bill that was introduced in michigan um we haven't ramped up engagement on this yet because i've been told that um the retailers association there is um kind of i I think it it sounds like they're making some headway you know without this blowing up into a huge thing so um i I just i do want to at least mention that we're aware of the it's an 81 percent wholesale tax yeah. <laughs> um, so we're, we're aware of it and, and I, you know, have um, connections there. So it's, it's, you know, we'll, we'll, we will engage as necessary. Um, so um, that's kind of the state stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other news at the local level, I think okay. we mentioned this last week um, and, and I'm sort of looking for I'm expecting things I'm expecting work okay. <laughs> <Weekend>. <laughs> it's gonna be kind of a crappy weekend um yeah. I, I'm, I'm expecting some more details uh, over the weekend or tonight I don't know okay. um but several several municipalities slash cities in California are going full steam ahead with flavor bans. Yes. Um, so there are hearings that are starting next week, um, and uh, and yeah, it's if, if you're in California, get up and do something about this. I, it's you know I I wonder if there are people in California who think like oh man we got beat with this proposition and other laws right. that passed last year like if you think the fight's over <laughs> just just stop yeah. thinking that um yeah. it's it's not there are, are many more things that they can do new jersey is an excellent example yes. um, we've had this stupid flavor ban bill come up you know two sessions in a row mm-hmm. um and you know we'll be looking at taxes and other stuff and so it's not just because they implemented a bunch of ridiculous laws in California doesn't mean that they're not <laughs> going to get more creative with the nonsense. So yeah. um, the fat lady's not done singing yet. <laughs> yeah. So that is, and I, I feel like I have a list written down somewhere here. Okay. Um, uh, I know San Francisco, Contra Costa County and two others that I just can't. Well, it's, um, it's a California, it's going to be a California wide thing. It always kind of is. It starts over with like Contra Costa County and then it just spreads. It's kind of like a contagion. Yeah. 
definitely something in the water out there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to waste everybody's time waiting for okay. me to look it up. Suffice it to say that, um, yeah, it's happening and, and yes. there's actually kind of a um, Facebook group about it. Just look up California flavor ban in Facebook and you'll probably find it. Okay. Um, so um, that's that. I don't have any updates on the New York stuff. Um, that was last week and we talked about it. Um, but so to the top news of the week, um, we, everybody started Monday off with some disappointing news that the Cole Bishop amendment was not included in the 2017 appropriations package for yeah. the omnibus budget. Um, but, and, and I, I know that this has been discussed by other people and, uh, and whatnot, but this is the CASA podcast and we need to mention it too. People really need to understand just how close we got. Um, you know, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, when they're talking about the provisions that they're going to keep in the spending bill, we were still being talked about. Um, this is a remarkable improvement from last time around where you know we were out a couple days in advance like right. or a full week i mean we just knew mm -hmm. it wasn't gonna yeah. happen um mm -hmm. so you know we've uh, if if to use a football analogy i think we were we got down to like fourth and inches um right. and, and and we weren't really interested in punting so we're <laughs> shooting for a field goal there is no there are no field goals <laughs> I know. In budget negotiations <laughs> you, you're either you either get it or you don't so yeah so um cole bishop is out of the budget for 2017 but here's here's the other side of that coin uh which is uh we have another budget coming up in like in something like five months in september right um and and that's where uh language from hr 1136 comes into play so um hr 1136 is still active is still mm -hmm. collecting co-sponsors. I put up a post today um, sharing that uh, we had over the past week or so, um, I think like six or seven new co-sponsors have, have signed wow. on from nice. Arkansas, Florida, Kentucky, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Okay. Um, so sent that out to everybody in those areas today. And Let's of course see. it's on our Facebook page. If you live in those states, definitely check the the nice list of co-sponsors that we're gathering, and um, and send your representative a thank you letter. Um, so, uh, you know, this the the support urging support for HR eleven thirty six translates to uh, support for uh, another uh, another go at, at an amendment to the budget bill in September. Um, you know, where nobody's giving up on this and, right. um, we realize that there's, you know, there's still a need for this immediate relief. Right. And speaking about immediate relief, um, so <laughs> within the same, you know, within the span of like, what, I don't know, eight hours or something like that, mm -hmm. you know, everybody wakes up to news about Cole Bishop not being included in the budget bill. And then later in the day we hear, oh, wait, but, um, we're going to be getting this three month extension on right. all deeming related deadlines going forward, okay. which pushes us, pushes us back to, I, th I think the off the cuff uh, number was November 8th, 
Um, so we're no longer talking about August 8th, 2018 as the deadline for pre-market tobacco applications. It is November 8th. Right. So this is, and, and I'm, I'm just going to put a, I guess a word of caution out there. This sounds pretty definite. I mean, it was in the Washington post, American cancer blogged about it. Um, I'm sure campaign for tobacco free kids <laughs> just got yeah. crazy. Sure. Um, it is still not on the FDA's website. Uh, the effective dates are still August 8th, August 8th, August 8th. So um, I, I will be curious to see how quickly they get their website updated. But right. um, at least as of now, there is word that there is that three-month delay. Okay. Um, which does make sense because, and, and I think to some extent, I think a lot of people may have expected this mm -hmm. because the agency was already delaying things like um, the ingredient listing and right. um, the harmful and potentially harmful constituents that mm -hmm. uh, there were two dates that were coming up. Right. Actually one has already passed. Oh, and in registering your products and that's it. Um, <laughs> so product, product registration and then harmful, and potentially harmful constituents, ingredient listing, mm -hmm. et cetera. All of those things were delayed. Right. Uh, so it really does only make sense that they would, I mean, lawsuit or not, it made it makes <laughs> sense that they delay um, for another three months. Right. Um, so um, that's that's a good sign. I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna look at this with some cautious optimism. optimism. Yeah. Um, you know, the ask is still out there to Secretary Tom Price to delay full implementation of the deeming rule for another two years. Um, three months is is good and it's really based on the cyclops vapor uh, lawsuit in that the, the and the new administration at fda needs to you know review the rule review the lawsuit kind of see what's going on um it, it's you know it's very similar reasoning to why we just now got done with the budget new administration needs to get up to speed um, needs to understand the issues and so um, that's where they're at. But um, we still, we included this in our announcement um, this week about Cole Bishop. Right. Um, we are still urging people to send letters to HHS Secretary, Secretary Tom, Price, Tom Price, urging him to delay. And I still have to get to the post office um, with a bunch of letters from uh, Atlanta. Uh, I, I waited, we waited, you know, until after the whole budget thing to do anything with this. So um, I will be posting up more details. If, if anybody needs kind of a, a picture type step-by-step -step version of how to package these letters that you're collecting, um, I should have that up in, a, in a, another day. Um, so, yeah. Nice. Yeah, so that's uh, relatively good slash interesting news. Um, and then uh so the other thing that is i think at the forefront of a lot of people's minds is all of this talk about healthcare and i'm not i'm not going to sit here and pretend that i know everything about this um i'm not even really going to pretend that i know anything about it uh healthcare is one of those confusing things and i actually resent the fact that we call it healthcare it's health insurance um right. It's not care that my, my insurance company has never cared for me. Um, <laughs> I, 
I know this because I've been dropped from two insurance companies for, um, yeah, many years apart, but, um, so, uh, but you know, one of the things that's coming up in this whole conversation is, uh, Medicaid. And I just kind of wanted to take that this opportunity to remind people that a lot of people on Medicaid are smokers. And uh, this, you know, I'm sure that other people have thought a lot more in depth about this and Mm -hmm. made other arguments. I know that Greg Conley has used this in several opportunities. But, um, you know, while we're out having conversations with lawmakers and so on, um, I, I think it's it's a valuable point to bring up. Um, and I'm looking at an article from us news and world report from 2015. Um, and they, at that point they were talking, you know, 70 million people, uh, are between Medicaid and chip, uh, are, are covered. Um, and then, you know, out of that number, I hate to reference the CDC, Um, And and I I will say with a word of caution, not really sure how accurate any of this is, Mm -hmm. but um, something like 29.1% of Medicaid recipients smoke. And this is, this is according to the 2014 national health interview survey. Um, So, you know, compared to the general population, you have a disproportionate number of people who smoke who are covered by Medicaid and it is not out of the realm of possibilities that that almost 30% of people are responsible for a large, a large number of medical bills associated mm-hmm. that can be attributed, that can be attributed to their smoking, certainly are attributed to their smoking. Um, and I'm using attributed in the way that, you know, oh, you smoked, you smoked once when you were 15, <laughs> clearly, Clearly, your bronchitis is a result of that. Sure, because um, no one ever gets sick otherwise. We yeah. all just live forever if we didn't smoke. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a bit of hyperbole, but it's you know, it, I think it's not too far off the mark. That's well, not how far. It's not far off the mark of how they say it. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just it. It's uh, it's it's one of those points that we don't talk about a whole lot. Um, well, we but, don't, uh, but if, if they really wanted to take those healthcare bills and drop them down, you would think they would be supporting something that was a palatable choice for people to make, you know, as far as switching goes. Yeah, you know, I, I never, um, you know, the state of New Jersey, the U.S. government, like neither, none of those people ever sent me a check to go out and buy vapor products. I just, you know, I purchased them like I would go to the store to buy a bottle of milk. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't drink milk, but if I did, that's, you know, a scenario. Um, So, yeah, you know, with with no expense to the taxpayers, uh, millions of people have switched to vapor products. And um, I'm just, you know, there is there's an argument to be made there about how many millions of dollars we could be saving the system if vapor products were promoted to... Mm -hmm smokers and and i you know we say this over and over again but you know this is sort of in that um the idea that we may have new listeners that are not fully up to speed on this so um so that's why i bring it up Mm -hmm. that makes sense to me it's valid point yep um so i think oddly enough uh 
I, I felt like this might have been a longer episode. <laughs> 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 um, I do know uh, the um, last week um, they wrapped up the quote unquote hearing in Heartland, Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. That was um, some watch. <laughs> I, I, I watched a little bit of it. I have not I have not taken the time to go and, and, and watch everybody's testimony. It's a, lo- a lot of it I have, you know, we've heard before. Um, and I, and I, I do kind of want to, um, I, I, I think that we should probably be measuring people's expectations about this effort. Um, I think probably the most accurate way to talk about this is it's, it's another tool. It's another Mm -hmm. potential pathway, but in reality, what this is, and and I'm, I'm, I'm either quoting or paraphrasing somebody, this is a legal theory. This is not a demonstrated tried and true pathway to fixing, uh, the regulations, as right. as it pertains to FDA, mm-hmm. um, you know, this has certainly been used with with uh, environmental regulations, mm-hmm. but uh, no one has ever done this with FDA. And so, sure. it's still, you know, arguably, um, you know, we don't we don't really know if if the whole coordination. Um, theory applies it's experimental a bit yeah so um i I, and i say this just because i i again you know it's like with everything else that we're doing i think people need to have have measured expectations about this stuff um and you know we, we say there's a very similar sentiment toward legislation um you know so for example, while we're, you know, since we were talking about healthcare, um, people are panicking about the healthcare bill. Well, it's only passed one house, right? It, it went through the house of representatives. It still has to go through the Senate. What we see on the other side of the Senate may be remarkably different than what went in. Well, yeah. I mean, and it's not just that I reading what passed and then looking at it, there are certain committees that the Republicans were supposed to send this through. Mm-hmm. And one of those committees would um, exempt them from being covered under it. But because they didn't send it through that committee, and in fact, seemed like they had no idea that they should have, they might be covered under the same exact rules the rest of us will be with the repeal and replace. Um, the uh... There was I saw I watched a bunch of this on C-SPAN. There was uh, an Love amendment. C-SPAN. There was amendment that was there was an amendment that was voted on that would have um, removed the exemption from uh, of uh, I guess members of Congress were, were exempt from the Affordable Care Act. Right. Yeah. So I, there was there was an amendment that was voted on. Um, yeah, but no, it removed that exemption. Yeah. Yeah. Can be so interesting. Any, and, and, you know, and, and and so all of this is to say that, you know, there, there, you know, when we talk about legislation, when we talk about Cole Bishop, I'm sure there are lots of people out there who are, you know, who heard the news about Cole Bishop and thought, wow, we're done for. Um, and, you know, when we went into this, the, the 2017 legislative season, right. um, which I may or may not be a thing, um, 
<laughs> you know, we went into this with the understanding that there were many irons in the fire, that we're, everybody is taking multiple angles of approach here. We've got legislation, we've got the, the, the rider in the budget, we've got mm -hmm. um, the lawsuits, multiple lawsuits. Right. We have, you know, potentially uh, relief coming from the administration. Mm -hmm. uh, and then this thing with Heartland popped up. So, right. you know, that's, these are all kind of their own separate avenues. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it, just because one option, you know, doesn't become viable or whatever, it doesn't mean that all the other alternatives or other other pathways are defeated. Yeah. Um, and and this is a this is a long progress process. Mm -hmm. And on that note, um, I should bring up the Duncan Hunter bill. Um, again, um, this is, uh, you know, so that's, that, that would be six. <laughs> so six things now, um, the, 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 um, cigarette smoking reduction and electronic vapor alternatives act of 2017, um, is, you know, again, people should measure their expectations about this in that, you know, first of all, it just got introduced last mm -hmm. week and, um, you know, there, there is still a lot of work to be done on this bill. And, uh, and we know that the Duncan Hunter's office knows that, um, other, other groups know that a lot of stakeholders know that. So, um, you know, but we, we got to start somewhere. And, and so people should, should look at this and say, you know, Hey, that's great. We, we mm -hmm. got a piece of legislation. Uh, right. now, now we've got to refine it and, uh, and get it moving. And mm -hmm. that process is likely to take years. We're, yep. it's, it is not likely, not likely that mm -hmm. we will see this bill pass in 2017. Right. Um, which means, you know, if we put all our eggs in that basket, it means the vapor industry is going to go out of business before we get any kind of relief. If that was the only piece of legislation that people were sure. supporting. I figured, so, yeah, I figured, you know, it doesn't hurt to support everything, but there's certain things that are, tried and true and then you have the experimental just kind of yeah 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 and then there are certain things that that uh you know some of us are more suited to put our resources behind than others so um you know the the, the really the really really important thing to know is that um everybody's sort of in communication with one another and, and coordinating as we sure. work through the process so mm -hmm. um so, and yeah, this process, was... thank you, government. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I'd rather it be a process than just some, you know, bureaucratic arbitrary. Here you go. Yeah. Up saying like, well, oh, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, that's not how policy should be made at all. Even though well, no, no, I wasn't for once. I wasn't slamming the government. I was just saying, thank you, government. You know, I mean, <laughs> the fact, no, for, for the vaping industry, one of the blessings has been that the wheels of governance turn slowly. That's true. You know, it, it really has been. I mean, it's got, really allowed vaping to expand and, and to, for more people to be helped. To, go ahead. We got, we got seven years out of slow moving agency action. Yes. You know, and you know, who knows, who knows what'll happen next week. Yeah. So I think that's all I've got okay. for this week. All right. Oh, oh, oh. You lied. <laughs> One more thing. Okay. 
East Cigarette Summit is in DC next week, uh, okay. Monday the eighth. Um, okay. I, I don't know if they're uh, if the if if all the slots are full, um, but if you are in the Washington DC metropolitan area um, and can make the trip, uh, I strongly suggest that people attend. Um, it will be a day for there. There are going to somebody actually. I think Bill Godchell pointed this out in his update today. Casa um, is you know we're really kind of the only uh, quote unquote pro vaping people that are are on the agenda. Um, there are a lot of the usual suspects in anti nicotine and tobacco are going to be speaking at this thing, um, which is is probably not what people would expect to see at an yeah. cigarette summit. Um, but uh, this will be an academic science-y kind of seminar. And, sure. um, you know, we, <clears throat> we got uh, Jennifer Berger-Coleman and Brian Carter on. Nice. To, they're going to be on panels. They're not giving their own presentations, but they're going to be on panels. Sure. Uh, and, uh, and we will be showing up with, uh, so, you know, with our, with our people. Um, sure. You know, we're going to be there to ask tough questions and uh awesome. we'll also have a, a nice uh table display with the uh, an actual representation of the timeline of electronic cigarettes wow. um to uh to sort of illustrate I, I fully expect to see some of the public health people walk over and be like are you kidding me uh, the, <laughs> the usual suspects the body parts brigade yeah <laughs> yeah um so we're we're hoping to open some minds well i um, figured that'll educate them yeah. yeah yeah um so it it uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to i'm a bit nervous but i'm looking forward to it uh, it'll be a, a good couple of days in dc um so, so again e-cigarette summit in dc and make sure that you're looking at the correct one because there's also um e-cigarette summit in london which okay. is in november sure um you don't want the one that's in november you want the one that's next week okay and that right. is it. Okay. I swear I don't have any more. Okay. Uh, thank you for everything you do for us, Alex. And we will see you next Friday. Yep. Um, and for everyone listening out there, you can get CASA updates at CASA.org. You can get CASA updates by following CASA Media at SoundCloud or by going to the iTunes podcast store and typing in the search window uh Casa Media, and you will be able to download the podcast onto your favorite podcast management app and get updates as soon as they go live. So you will always know what we are doing. Um, thank you for listening. Night, Alex. Have a great week. Night. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, Margo, are you with us? I am. You are. How are you, Margo? I'm fine. How are you? Oh, you know, I love to read nightmare legislation. Um, <laughs> you know, um, honestly, uh, not not too in love with the uh, repeal and replacement, and scared of the people going. Oh, I trust President Trump to watch out for us. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? People should be scared of anyone who trusts politicians. Sorry. Yeah, I can't. I don't know where that came from, where we think we need the government to be our mom and our dad, but it's some messed up way of thinking. Um, 
I did say last week that this week was going to be about the nature of reality, but um, since we're talking quantum physics, I'm going to give that another week, and maybe your, you and your lovely husband will join us next week, since I know he really has an interest in that sort of thing. He's looking forward to it. Is he? Great. Then I can show him the whole five stories that I managed to cobble together that weren't so um, complicated that I wanted to cry. And, oh, maybe somebody besides me can explain Schrodinger's cat. (laughs) (laughs) I I heard about Schrodinger's cat for years. Oh, no. Yeah, it's something he's definitely wrapped up in. Uh, I'm I'm with Douglas Adams on Schrodinger's cat. Okay. I I don't know if you've read this. He he has in one of the Hitchhiker's books, I think it was. No, no, it was Dirk Gently, one of the Dirk Gently Uh, books. Okay. It's like, oh, someone tried to do the experiment. And when they opened the box to observe the cat, the cat was gone. It got bored and wandered off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, it's like the double slit experiment. I I don't know. I think things are are definitely... um, they're definitely changed by whether we observe them or not. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's... De- depending on how thing. you look at a, 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 a photon determines mm-hmm. whether it's a wave or, or a particle. particle. Mm-hmm. Ah, quantum physics, you're lovely. <laughs> yes, Oh, well, also photons can be at two places at once. Yes, they can. <laughs> and then there's spooky action at a distance. There's quantum string theory. There's like ultra quantum string theory, which like we we don't even have enough power on the Earth to test it. If you think the Large Hadron Collider uses a lot of power trying to prove quantum quantum string theory, I mean string theory, yeah, no, we we don't have enough power for that, yeah. <laughs> just not yet. So um, reality itself is very difficult to understand, and uh, so next week we're gonna have more people joining us that understand it besides. Um, very. Because <laughs> you kind of understand it more than me. I, I'm just I don't interested. understand it. I've read some of it. That's not the same thing. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's more than most people. So I've read some of it too, and like I have my favorites. My favorite is quantum string theory. I, I think it's in this favorite. case, you definitely need to have the stories with us well ahead of time, so we can. Yeah, read. no, I've only I've only managed to get like five of them, and then yeah, I... but the reading involved the background reading involved in in five stories about quantum. Yeah, but they're from years. Um, <laughs> they're from popular they're from popular publications. I didn't go and get something from like a sciencey place. Well, I did get one from a a mathematics place that talks about the computation. So has, yeah, has no. Brian Cox done any videos about any of them? <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but hasn't? Uh, oh, what what is that wonderful? Um, you have a wonderful program over there. Um, over there. We have like, several. Horizons, no, no. one of the good signs. Yeah, Horizons. That's what I was going to say. Horizons makes the stuff actually a lot easier to understand. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, because um, they, they use... They, it makes your brain hurt. I mean, yeah, Horizon, I think, I get, Horizon tend to get the physicists in who actually know how to speak human language. People? Yeah. So, That's Brian Cox, DeSotoy. Yeah. Um, Brian and, Cox and is others. quite... Yeah. He's quite a... He's, He's good for explaining science to the masses. Yeah, other phys- really physicists don't like him that much. Yeah, well, that's because yeah, he, he, he explains it. things too simply, probably. Uh. Well, but it <laughs> needs to be made simple. 
right? This is a complicated thing that needs to be made simple so that ordinary people can understand it, you know, and although even then the some of his explanations of you're sitting there going, huh? <laughs> yeah. He he Brian Cox does dumb it down quite well. <laughs> and Horizons is very good at explaining that stuff. So I, I am gonna do more background stuff probably tomorrow after work and you guys should have what I have by Sunday evening. <laughs> so they have, you have so by Monday read. morning our brains will have imploded right oh i don't know i i swear to god i said to margo last night i said i figure by halfway through the show on monday i'll have a nosebleed <laughs> yeah <laughs> from trying to understand this stuff but i find it fascinating and i think other people do too oh, yeah, physics so, is great fun yeah physics is great fun um for for strange people and you know hey <laughs> I'm strange. I I entirely admit it, but uh, like I said, I'm delaying a week because you know that's the nature of reality. Um, <laughs> but this week uh, I decided to cut uh, cover childhood in the state, and I knew Margot would love some of this stuff. So, yeah. do you want to pick a story? Mm. There's so many good ones, aren't there? Please don't make me read uh, the longest one first. Well, that would be the Dutch one? Yes. Yeah. You want me to read the Dutch one first? Yeah. Get it out of the way. Okay. All right. Um, I'm reading this first, and you'll understand why when we get into more of the stories that we're covering this week. There is the world's happiest children. So is it time you went Dutch? Two toddlers have just chased each other to the top of a climbing frame and are jostling to get down the slide first. Their mother's lost in conversation on a nearby park bench. In the distance, a dog barks, and a little boy ambles along on his balance bike, trailed by his grandfather, who's pushing a buggy. A gang of older children in tracksuits comes racing along the bike path, laughing and joking. They overtake a young mom who's cycling more slowly, balancing a baby in a seat in front of her on the bike, and a toddler on the back. Now a group of girls is playing piggy in the middle of the grass, their joyful shrieks filling the air. Not far away, some boys are perfecting their skateboarding moves. None of the school-aged children is accompanied by adults. This happy scene isn't from a movie. It's just a regular Wednesday afternoon in springtime in Amsterdam's Volde Park, a scene enacted all across the Netherlands every day. In 2013, a UNICEF report rated Dutch children the happiest in the world. According to researchers, Dutch kids are ahead of their peers in childhood well-being when compared with 29 of the world's richest industrialized countries. The United Kingdom came 16th, and the United States ranked 26th, just above Lithuania, Latvia, and Romania, the three poorest countries in the survey. Make what you want of that. Children from the Netherlands were in the top five in each of the categories assessed. Material well-being, health and safety, education, behaviors and risks, and housing and environment. In fact, the Dutch scored highest for behaviors and risks, as well as for education, a category in which the UK came in 24th. I'm sure America didn't do much better. As an American mom and a British mom, these two women wrote a book, um, both of us married to Dutchmen and raising our kids in Amsterdam, we found it hard not to notice how happy Dutch children are. The scene we described above should give you an idea why. Dutch children enjoy freedoms denied to children in the countries where we come from, and they thrive on them. When it came to Dutch children rating their own happiness levels, more than 95% considered themselves happy. Several other research surveys have likely, 
likewise highlighted the positive benefits of growing up in the Netherlands. Britain's Child Poverty Action Group and the World Health Organization, for example. The UNICEF report was a follow-up to one conducted in 2007 in which the Netherlands were first heralded as a prime example of childhood prosperity. The UK and the US ranked in the two lowest positions. In addition, new research also suggests that Dutch babies are happier than their American counterparts. After examining their temperamental differences between babies born in the U.S. and Netherlands, Dutch babies were found to be more contented, laughing, smiling, and cuddling more than American babies. Dutch babies were also easier to soothe, while American babies displayed more fear, sadness, and frustration. Psychologists attribute the discrepancies to the different cultural mores of childbearing in the two countries. It's quite astonishing to us that no one seems to be making more of a fuss about this. As in America... Yeah, okay. So... <clears throat> The Netherlands have a reputation for being a liberal country with a tolerance of sex, drugs, and alcohol. Yet beneath this lies a closely guarded secret. The Dutch are actually fairly conservative people. At the heart of the Dutch culture is a society of home-loving people who place the child firmly at the center. Parents have a healthy attitude towards their kids, seeing them as individuals rather than extensions of themselves. They understand that achievement doesn't necessarily lead to happiness, but that happiness can cultivate achievement. The Dutch have reigned in the anxiety, stress, and expectations of modern-day parenting or finding the meaning of success and well-being. For them, success starts with happiness, that of their children and themselves. Stress-free schooling. Children at primary school aren't expected to do homework, and they don't swap for exams. It's the kind of childhood that many of us are nostalgic for. A childhood from the black-and-white photographs, old movies, and Enid Blyton books. In all of Dutch primary schools, kids start school at four, but don't officially start structured learning, reading, writing, and arithmetic until they are six years old in year three. If they do show interest in these subjects earlier, they are provided with the materials to explore them for themselves. Both of Michelle's children learned to read and write in their first year of school this way, but there was no pressure. Friends who learned to read later in the third year at six or seven showed no particular disadvantage in having learned later and soon caught up. In the Netherlands, children like going to school, and this is something that is also reflected in the research UNICEF collected in 2013. Dutch children are among the least likely to feel pressured by schoolwork and scored highly in terms of finding their classmates friendly and helpful. The Dutch definitely do not care if little Sophie or Sem is a piano prodigy, a chess champion, or an Instagram model famous by the age of two. There are no baby Einstein DVDs being played, no black and white flashcards being used, and definitely no baby enrichment classes or baby gyms at least not outside of the major cities. The Dutch aren't concerned about their babies being the smartest. They just want them to be the easiest. Okay. Happy parents have happy kids. They have a realistic perspective on parenthood and understand that they and their children are far from perfect. They're parents who live in the real world. That's not to say they don't still struggle with the daily realities and messiness of life, but because they're more forgiving of their own imperfections and shortfalls, they're able to enjoy parenthood. Dutch society has fought for an achieved and enviable work-life balance. As the part-time work champions of Europe, the Dutch work on average 29 hours a week. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dedicate at least one day per week to spending time with their children and pencil in time for themselves, too. You won't find a Dutch mother expressing guilt about the amount of time she spends with her children. She will make a point of finding time for herself outside of motherhood and work. Sturdy, windswept, and self-assured, these moms don't start to stress about getting back into shape the minute they leave the hospital with their new baby. And Dutch moms don't do for their children things they are capable of doing for themselves. They believe in encouraging independence at the appropriate age. They're confident and calm. There's none of this mom, mom petition or mommy guilt you see in the UK and the US. Dutch fathers are not afraid of looking like sissies. 
They take an equal role in child-rearing and household chores. They look after their kids on their days off and help put the little ones to bed. You're just as likely to see a dad pushing a pram or wearing a baby carrier as a mom. Undisciplined. The Dutch parenting style hits that elusive balance between parental involvement and benign neglect. It is authoritative, not authoritarian. In the Netherlands, children are encouraged to act spontaneously. Play is more important than being quietly obedient. The Dutch believe in inspiring children to explore the world around them and to learn from that. Play can be noisy and disruptive to other people, something the French would not tolerate and the Britons and Americans might disapprove of. Discipline is not punishment-based. For the Dutch, it's about teaching socially appropriate behavior. In a society without a strong social hierarchy, deferring to your elders or betters is a foreign concept, so you don't get that kind of polite deference from children you might get in France, or in Asia for that matter. Dutch children are expected to be friendly and helpful towards their elders, but not to automatically defer to them. Everyone is on an equal footing. Children are unlikely to be willfully dis uh, disobedient, but they're more likely to fight their corner. Learning to put forward a good argument is seen as a useful life skill, and so encouraged. Dutch parenting experts recommend that adults set a good example so that their children will copy them. Two common expressions that translate as, as parenting is practicing what you preach and what the old cock crows the young cock learns. Experts also advise parents not to ask a child to do something, but to tell him or her to say firmly, I want you to. The idea is not, is not to give the child a choice of options, but to give clear directions. Discipline is not about forcing your child to do things or getting into power struggles with them, spying on them or checking up on them, threatening them, screaming or shouting. Instead, desirable behavior should be enforced, reinforced with praise. Unacceptable behavior should be stopped firmly and immediately. Biking in the rain. Dutch children do enjoy a huge degree of freedom. They ride their bikes to school, play on the streets, and visit their friends after school, all unaccompanied. It's part of the Dutch character to go outside in all weathers. Children will happily play outside in the rain. Sporting events are rarely canceled due to bad weather. If it's wet, the Dutch wear interacts. If they're wearing smart clothes, they learn to cycle carrying an umbrella in one hand. There's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing, Dutch parents say. Children are expected to be the same. Given an equal role in the family, children are taught to be self-sufficient and accept responsibility at an early age. Playing outside unsupervised is a rite of passage that teaches them independence and toughens them up. Dutch culture is sufficient sufficed with the idealized image of a child who's rosy-cheeked from outdoor fun. Their blonde hair must up. Independent outdoor play is seen as the antidote to breeding passive, media-addicted couch potatoes. It's all about a uh, haggle side. I think I pronounced that right. <laughs> According to the 2013 UNICEF report, the one that declared Dutch children were the happiest in the world, 85% of the Dutch children aged 11, 13, and 15 surveyed ate breakfast every day. So there's something about special about eating haggle sack chocolate sprinkles for breakfast. Is that really what makes Dutch children so happy? Sitting down to eat around the table as a family before school and the working day is a routine that underpins Dutch family life. In no other country do families eat breakfast together as regularly as they do in the Netherlands. In America and British families, um, breakfast is a meal that's often skipped altogether in the rush to get out of the house on time. What the Dutch seem to understand is the importance of eating regular meals, starting with the meal that breaks the nighttime fast. There's an abundance of research that points out the benefits of having breakfast every morning. It's said to reduce the risk of snacking on unhealthy foods throughout the day, decrease the risk of obesity, and increase a child's ability to concentrate at school. The Dutch are champions of breakfast time and seem to be happier and healthier because of it. But the real point is that they put much value on the idea of starting the day together around the breakfast table, a calming and bonding experience for the entire family. Dutch teenagers don't rebel. Dutch teenagers don't possess that posturing arrogance, but rather mature self-assurance. 
Even though it's culturally acceptable to have romantic sleepovers, the Netherlands also has one of the lowest rates of teenage pregnancy in the world. These well-adjusted children grow up prepared to deal with the trials and tribulations of adult life. In addition, binge drinking, which is such a problem among teenagers in the UK, is not a behavior that Dutch parents or teenagers worry about. In an OECD study in the, the UK, Estonia, and Denmark are at the top of the list, the Netherlands last of 26 countries surveyed along the US because of stricter laws prohibiting underage drinking. Italy, Italy and Iceland. Research also suggests that children who have a good relationship Oh, you seem to have lost John. Just seeing what's happening. Well, it's been it's been a, a quite a few shows since we had any any glitches go happened so yeah <laughs> i thought it was just me no 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 she 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 just stopped <laughs> well i'm sure she, she didn't vanished. stop but yeah maybe there's she's she seems to get an awful lot of thunderstorms where she lives so yeah <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me a bit well gulf coast so yeah Trying to see if I can figure out where she... I can just intercede at this point and say the way they're describing Dutch upbringing is, apart from school, is how mine went. In school it was the all, all the, you know, you must do this, you must do that. Here's your homework. But my father, when I was at home, was like, do whatever you want. <laughs> Hello? Hello. Yay! I'm back. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, it had to check you for robot hamsters. You got up hamsters. to in an OECD study. <laughs> Just to... Great. Oh, I <laughs> wanted to read that again. Yay! Um, <laughs> binge okay. drinking, yeah. In an OECD study, the UK, Estonia, and Denmark are at the top of the list with the Netherlands, the last 26 countries surveyed, along with the US because of stricter laws prohibiting underage drinking. Italy, and Iceland. Research suggests that children who have a good relationship with their parents drink less. Drug use here is an interesting issue because of the government's liberal approach. Although there are lots of coffee shops that sell marijuana, not only are they off limits to under 18s, no coffee shop can operate within 250 meters of the school. Official figures from 2011 state that around 19% of boys and 14% of girls of secondary school age have tried cannabis. Michelle's husband believes that the relative ease in which children can try cannabis makes the experience less of a thrilling prospect. He never tried it himself as a teenager and thought, so what? It never became a habit. The simple life. The norm in the Netherlands is simplicity. Families tend to choose simple, low-cost activities and take a back-to-basics approach. Children are used to having second-hand toys. Every year on King's Day in April is part of the, oh my god, the Ridge Market? <laughs> The Vondel Park in Amsterdam is transformed into a vast open-air children's market, and this is replicated in many villages and towns around the country. Well, I don't know what that is. While many British and American kids are being bought up, surrounded by the spoils of a booming consumer economy and demand the latest toys and fashions, Dutch kids are playing outdoors in the nearly new clothes on second-hand roller skates. 
One of the things we know about happiness is that people are happier in countries where there is less social inequality. Dutch birthdays and most other celebrations are more about celebrating togetherness. There's no attempting to outdo the Joneses, or in the case of the Dutches, the Heinrichsons, in terms of expensive birthday presents or fancy clothes. There's a silent pact that expensive presents for your children's friend's birthday should cost no more than 10 pounds. I'm assuming that's pounds. The Dutch opt for time, not money, and practicality over luxury goods. What Dutch children grow accustomed to in childhood sets them up for life. They're pragmatic and confident, unhampered by anxieties about status. Well, when yeah, when you're when when you're uh, off uh, restarting, um, uh-huh. yeah, I said apart from the school bit <laughs> and obviously the coffee shops, um, right. my upbringing was like that. Yeah, in school it was very regimented. When I was at home, yeah, I I entertained myself for the most part, and mm-hmm. and my dad guided rules rather than forcing rules. So right. yeah. Well, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, with me, it wasn't so much like that, but, you know, I was on a farm. Everybody had to pull their weight. You didn't get the newest stuff. You didn't get the coolest stuff. You know, I, (laughs) there are pictures of me and my brother's old hand-me-down, like, Def Leppard shirts in school in their old jeans. So, I mean, that's just, that was normal, you know. Yeah, I was glad to have an older brother. Otherwise, it'd have been two older sisters, and the hand-me-downs <laughs> wouldn't have been quite as. Uh, that wouldn't have been friendly. quite as yeah. fashionable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't really fashionable. See, and I'm. Go ahead. I'm Go ahead. just enough older than you guys. That was right there. I grew up in the early '60s, okay. and so a lot of the the tech kind of stuff. I mean, it was a big deal to have a radio. You know, right. um, when I was a kid, I lived outside. I had mm-hmm. chores to do, but yep. then I would go out. I was either on a pogo stick, a bicycle, going down to the creek with a fishing pole. I was on my horse. Um, yeah, I did get a TV for my bedroom for Christmas, but guess what? There was no cable back then. So <laughs> the TV was used in the winter <clears throat> on Saturday mornings for cartoons. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I was an only, so in that regard, I was spoiled. The dolls that I got received surgical procedures for me because I wanted to know what was inside (laughs) them. (laughs) Me too. Consequently, our child who is 29 was raised not that much different than Steve and I were. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, you will play outside. No, you cannot have a computer. No, you cannot have a video game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, was I mean, a big, big issue because all my kids have this. And I pulled the stereotypical, and if all your kids were jumping off the Empire State Building, would you do it too? Occasionally, <laughs> he would get this glare on his face like, I just might. <laughs> but to this day, he will be somewhere out in public, and he will hold doors open for people. Mm-hmm. He says, thank you. He says, please. He says, yes, ma'am. And no, sir. Yeah. I'm like, no. he's from a fucking third world country or something. <laughs> because well, he was raised to be. A and human so being first. Lose <laughs> track of that. That you have children. The end result is to have 
a responsible adult when you're done. Yeah. And yeah. happen anymore. No, not not so much. Um, you know, I I'm not gonna lie, I had a small black and white TV. I was about 10 when I got it. Um, my grandfather was getting rid of it and he gave it to me. It was teeny tiny. It was about three inches across. And the only thing I could get on it was PBS. That's cool. But, you know, I spent a lot of time outside. I didn't have a choice. That's yeah, how it was you, on a you farm. You lived outside. Yep. You had, yeah, and the worst part was my parents, when they would actually um, have the money to buy me school clothes, would be like, okay. We'll save the old outgrown stuff for play clothes. Really? <laughs> the stuff I can't really wear, <laughs> I have to change into for play clothes? Mm, okay. <laughs> that I remember. And, you know, yeah, I, def there was definitely a distinction between school clothes and play clothes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Clothes and, on when you got home. Oh, there would be hell to pay. Those yep. are school clothes. That's uh, school and church. Those yep. are where you can wear those clothes. That's it. <laughs> yep, until you can't wear them anymore, and then you can play in them all. You can play in them yep. until your heart's desire. See, my upbringing was so liberal, I even mostly avoid the church bit there. My mother claimed to be religious. She isn't, of course, like a lot of people who say they are. Um, mm -hmm. Tried to get all the kids to go to church. My dad wasn't bothered, even though he was brought <laughs> up quite strictly religious. Right. Which is probably why he was liberal about it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think I went twice before I went, nah. Not going to <laughs> as, as a teenager, I was actually very interested in religion. Um, so I went to a variety of houses of worship. I had been to synagogue, a Greek Orthodox church, which was an amazing experience because uh, they really believe in pen penitence for things. Um, you, you sat in these quite comfortable pews, but when it was time to pray, these boards would pull out from underneath the... Uh, be quite comfortable pews, which were padded. Yeah, oh, kneel. you kneel on bare boards, and that shit hurts. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it was a very different experience, but um, it, the services were beautiful. Um, I was I was just exposed to a lot of stuff because I wanted to be, because I had an yep. almost anthropological interest in religion. I still do. So that's just one of the interesting things. Uh, Vera, you want to pick a story? So there's so many fun ones here. Let's get to the dangerously channeling story from South Dakota. Oh. Get it out of the way as well. Because, okay. yeah. The reason I talked about how happy Dutch children are is going to become quite apparent. <clears throat> yeah. South Dakota CPS forced Catherine into three-year-old boy's penis in search of illegal drugs. Let that sink in for a minute, folks. The American Civil Liberties Union sent a letter to the Department of Social Services in South Dakota last week demanding they stop catheterizing children in order to conduct warrantless drug tests carried out by the department with the assistance of police and hospital staff. They're also requesting that the department's written policy regarding the catheterization and searches of children. The American Civil Liberties Union sent a... Uh, okay. So they're demanding an explanation... After Kristen Hunter, the mother of a three-year-old boy in South Dakota, contacted them about her son, Askel, who was injured physically and emotionally after being forcibly catheterized late February. South Dakota DDS, commonly called CPS, didn't bother getting a warrant to catheterize little Askel. Um, As As 
Axel, Axel. But that didn't matter to the hospital employees at Advia St. Mary's Hospital who held him down while nurses shoved a catheter tube into the three-year-old's penis. Hunter and her son wound up at the hospital after <clears throat> Pierce police showed up at her home on February 23rd with Child Protective Service employees. Her boyfriend had failed his probation analysis, so CPS determined that they wanted to drug test Hunter's two children. When they arrived at her home, social services employee told Hunter that if her children could not produce urine for drug tests, they would be removed from her custody. Under duress, Hunter consented to the search, but she wasn't aware a catheter would be used. The next day, Hunter arrived at Aretha Health, where she and her five-year-old daughter provided samples at the request of social service employees. But Axel, who was not potty trained at the time, was not able to produce a urine sample. At the request of social services, Axel was held down and forcibly catheterized by the staff, which gave the boy a staph infection. They just shoved it right up there, and he screamed so bad, Hunter told the August leader. He's still dealing with the staph infection, and we are getting, still getting him medication. The process runs afoul of the Fourth Amendment's protection against unlawful search and seizure, where there are less other intrusive means available to gather the information, wrote Heather Smith, executive director of the ACLU of South Dakota. Any child, let alone those suspected of being victims of abuse or neglect, should not be subjected to the additional trauma, indignity, and abuse of catheterization. Avera Health would not comment on the matter and has denied repeated interview requests. Instead, they issued a two-sentence response. Avera has long recommended that care never be forced on anyone. However, the facts of any given circumstance dictate how some might respond to a directive from law enforcement or a judge, spokesman Jay Gadholt wrote to USA Today. In contrast, the Stanford Health Hospital in South Dakota issued a statement condemning the practice. At Stanford, it is not only not it's not only our experience but also our philosophy that when we work with a patient, we are able to secure the sample without force. Cindy Morrison, Stanford's chief marketing officer, wrote the ACLU's letter, um, which we could stick in there. Um, yeah, so the ACLU is is doing the right thing. I can't fucking believe this. I can't believe we live in a country that allows this to happen. I can't even begin to imagine how much money it would cost me in legal fees to kill somebody who did that to your child someone <laughs> trying to forcibly catheterize a three-year-old for no medical reason no yeah. fucking medical I mean, um, reason as far as i'm concerned not potty here's a diaper god yeah i mean as far as i'm concerned all the officials and medical staff who took part in that action should now be on some sort of sexual predator list. I agree. Yeah. I mean, and any I don't... anyone working in healthcare who agreed to do that shouldn't be working in healthcare. I agree. I agree. There's no reason to do that to a three-year-old child unless their life is in danger, mm -hmm. and. Sorry, they they may argue. Well, we didn't know. Take one of the diapers. You just don't. Oh, I know. I know. I I can't believe that's allowed. I can't. But and 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 of course they'll come back with the argument. Well, the mother agreed. So I'm told, yeah, because you threatened her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um. And honestly, you know, this kid's just another victim of the freaking war on drugs in this country, which is just... The mother agreed ridiculous. that they could have a urine sample 
Not that they could... didn't agree to something akin to a surgical procedure. Well, well as I say, I'd to... class it as child oh. molestation. Yeah. Well, I mean, that would be the and easiest the way. Yeah. Yeah. Margo, would you like to pick one? <laughs> this would be... Uh, no. <laughs> lots of rants tonight. Yeah. Um, I kind of like the, the Florida mom. Okay. So, <clears throat> yeah. Um, so Another example of, yeah. The state. This is what happens when you give the state unlimited power, by the way. Uh, Florida mom outraged after 10-year-old autistic son arrested at school trying to take a test. Yeah. Yay, Florida. <laughs> this is rich. A 10-year-old autistic Florida boy who had been expelled from school last year returned to the same school last week after receiving an invitation to take a standard assessment test. But he was promptly arrested for a warrant neither he or his mother were aware even existed. His mother, Lauren Haygood, recorded the arrest on Wednesday, informing the Okeechobee County Sheriff's deputies that her son is on the autism spectrum. But they proceeded to handcuff and transport him to jail anyway, where he remained until the following morning. And they later claimed they had no idea he was autistic. I don't know what's going on, the boy John Haygood repeatedly said through tears as he was being arrested. I didn't know I was going to get arrested. Neither did I, responded his mother as she recorded. They placed him in the back of a patrol car and drove him away, leaving the mother standing there with many questions that have yet to be answered. When he was saying, I don't understand, Mama, I don't understand what's going on, that broke my heart, Lynn Haygood told KFOR. The boy was released from jail after appearing before a judge in an oversized jumpsuit on Thursday. For him to come in in a jumpsuit that is covering his feet six inches past his hand when the judge asked him to raise his right hand, we couldn't even find it, Lynn Haygood recalled. An October 27 incident report from the Okeechobee Achievement Academy estates 10-year-old boy John Haygood was being disruptive in class, throwing paper balls at other students, so his teacher asked him to go to timeout. When he refused, the teacher attempted to physically remove him, which resulted in scratch marks on the teacher's arm because he resisted. Haygood was expelled from school and forced to complete his schoolwork from home. At some point, the Okeechobee County Sheriff's Office issued a warrant for battery on a school employee against him, but they never got around to serving the warrant Wednesday, almost six months after the original incident. Haygood showed up to the school campus with his mother after receiving an invitation to take the Florida Standards Assessment Test. But instead of taking the test, he was handcuffed and driven to jail by two deputies after a school resource officer recognized him and called 911. The school tried to wipe its hands of its responsibility by saying this, they laid the blame solely on the cops, releasing the following statement. It has been district procedure to invite students to take the Florida Standards Assessment. The district would not invite someone to one of our campuses for the sole purpose to arrest. John's mother, <laughs> John's mother, Luann, said she was surprised and had no idea a warrant had been issued for her son's arrest, especially a warrant for battery on a school employee over an incident that took place over eight months ago. To go and have him arrested on school grounds in front of other students, in front of personnel during school hours, they could have come to my house at any time to tell me what was going on, she said. Autism expert, executive director of the Center for Autism and Related Disabilities, Dr. Jack Scott, told WPTV he thought the arrest was deplorable. I find it deplorable when I saw it in the video. This should never be handled criminally, in my view. The judge said Haygood's court date for May 11th and said he'd take the autism into consideration when deciding the outcome of his case. Haygood's mother says she hires 
plans to hire an attorney to fight for his innocence. This kind of goes back to how screwed up the world has become. <laughs> you think? You know, when we went to school, if a kid had done something like that, I can recall this thing called in-school suspension. Sure. Where if you went off on a teacher, you would have still had to go to school. Yeah, you would have had been yeah. separated from your class for three days and given a stack of work to do. The, the school I went to, if you'd scratched a teacher, they'd have slapped you. <laughs> yeah, that, for a couple of times, being in the principal's office, getting my little ass warmed over with paddle. Um, right, child, I was not. I got A's and B's, but when it came to conduct, they wanted to flush me. <laughs> Um, I wasn't a bad kid. Um, I just, I was extremely, I, I'm not, I'm not saying I was like super smart or anything, but, um, schoolwork was extremely boring to me. So I clowned out and acted out. Uh, I, um, I will say I never got caught for anything. Um, <laughs> I got caught every time. I used to get sat at the front of the classroom after a while. Well, the, the worst incident I had at school was, and, and and this was down to the guy didn't like my family very much, the school rector mm -hmm. sent for me to come to his office because I had left my briefcase in the wrong place during lunch. There's a oh corridor leading to the canteen where all the kids left their bags. And my, mine was sticking out two inches too far for his liking. So he tried to give me in trouble for that. Uh, tried to, you know, I said. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Luckily for him, my mother didn't arrive to discuss that one with him. <laughs> the reason I say he didn't like my family was my mother once knocked him out. <laughs> Go on. Well, my brother, it was, it was a wet day, which, as you know, in Scotland is quite normal. But right. it was a really wet day. <laughs> As in one of those days where the rain's coming six foot back off the ground. Um, right. And my brother used to go home for his lunches because he mm -hmm. was too old to get free school meals. Right. So in the morning, cycling home, his trousers got soaked. It was wash day. I'm sure you remember this, old-fashioned people. <laughs> so yeah. he, his other pair of school trousers were wet because they were in the washing machine. So my mother sent him back to school in jeans. At which point he got suspended. My mother got went to the school with both sets of wet school trousers, basically <laughs> busting the guy's office and threw the wet trousers down on his desk. And the guy opened with, Now look here, you silly woman. Uh, so she leveled him. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I was left pretty much alone at school by the headmaster. <laughs> Well, rector, but yeah, there was the one incident where he tried to get me on something so stupid uh, that even he couldn't uphold it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sc schools now have become they're idiotic, like little, basically. Well, they're little prisons, at least here in this country, and that's why a lot of parents are they're actually opting out of schooling children in schools. They ignore the fact that, hello, they're kids. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're I mean, in this, in this Cody story's case, it's yet another one where those police officers 
child endangerment. I mean, this is... he's autistic, and I, I don't, that. I don't fly with the claim. Oh, we didn't know. So yeah. yeah, the woman's got a video where she says there's, it. There is a video you can watch. Yeah, all you gotta. Yeah, there's a video there you can see. You know, um, come on now. Plus the there, way he just. I have an autistic nephew, right? Mm -hmm. Just from the way they walk around and behave, you can tell they're autistic. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's the absolute truth. You can definitely tell. And, and my nephew's mildly autistic compared to most. Uh, yeah. And yeah, he, if something like that happened to him, he'd have a breakdown. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's the other side of this coin. This kid is autistic. Go yeah. down the way it did. My God. I mean, he'll probably I, never want to go to another, he'll never want to go to another school in his life, probably. No. That's probably not a bad thing for his safety. You know, um, schools today really don't, pre they don't allow children to be children. They've got to pass all these tests and you've got to sit still and be quiet. I know kindergartners, right? Now, I don't know what kindergarten was like for you when you went, but when I went, we kind of played, you learned your letters, you learned your numbers, you know? I mean, I was doing more than that, but you know, for most kids, it was a socializing thing. It was Why learning it? to deal with other kids. Yeah. Um, but now I have friends whose children are in kindergarten that are being held back because you have to know a hundred words and their meaning. You know, you have to be able to spell them or write them legibly. Um, you have to be able to do math that was basically third grade math when yeah, I was I mean, a child. Um, you know, it's, when, when it's I grew up, there, what, there really preschool really wasn't common in the UK, right? And now it's you know the parents fighting over I must get my kid into this preschool, <laughs> and it's like yeah. otherwise they'll be behind. And it's like <laughs> really, I I turned up at school at age five able to read, write, and do maths. Yeah. I didn't go to a preschool. Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, for most kids, it was a socializing experience. For me, you know, I was reading the new book of knowledge, like three, you know, all of them. And I mean, yeah, they're a child's encyclopedia. Yeah. But I mean, please uh, the understand, one that, the one that got most my... people don't have the capacity for that at three, but go ahead. Uh, the, the one that one of the teachers was shocked at when I was in school, it wasn't until I was in um, second, second primary two. So it'd have been about seven. Right. They started doing the line, the witch in the wardrobe. Those oh, books. what a great book! And, what a great set and I was of like, uh, uh, "Please, miss, I've I've read this I've already." I've read those. Oh, when did you read those? Well, it was before I get I came to school. It was like mm -hmm. you read them before yeah. you even started school, and I'm like, "Yeah, all yeah. of them." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like when Alex was in kindergarten. I think it was the third day. His teacher said she wanted to talk to me. <clears throat> and so I went and I met with her and he said, and she said that she thought I needed to take him to the doctor because he uh, needed to be on Ritalin or something. <laughs> and I went, what makes you say that? And she says, well, I give them tasks to do. And in 30 seconds he's done and he's disrupting the class. Cleaning okay. Task. Give him and harder says, tasks. I said, yeah. Give him yeah. more work. <laughs> Yeah, and exactly. he looked at me rather odd. I said, "You need to realize this is a child that, at the age of two, bring it to me, crawl in my lap, and read to me." 
So <laughs> we, don't tell me he needs to be on drugs because He's you can't smart. challenge him. Uh, yeah. Give him harder work. Give him more to do. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean. All of his disruptive behaviors went away. As you say, we were all in kind of old school school. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, when, when I was in primary school, which is up to age uh, 11-ish in the UK. Mm -hmm. Right. 11, 12. Yeah, by the time I was in sec secondary seven, I'd done all the normal maths they taught. Mm -hmm. So they were giving me stuff from the high school. <laughs> when, when I was in high school, they started giving me, uh, I was doing the mandatory, um, well, it's, they called it they called it technical back then. It was you know, right. woodworking, metalworking, and mm -hmm. um, draftsmanship, you know, with the big okay. drawn tables. You, everybody mm -hmm. had to do a little bit of that mm -hmm. in the first two years of secondary school. Um, right. So when I was doing the, the technical drawing bit, I completed all the workbooks, and for the last six months I was doing for for the six months I was doing that, I did about half of all the coursework for an O level <laughs> in that subject. And, yeah. and, and that's the way it should I mean, be, yeah. though. Yeah. Well, you know, my we couldn't teach yeah. me fast enough, so yeah. <laughs> when when I was a kid, I mean, when I was in about fifth grade, I think I had read Huxley, just about everything Huxley had written. I had written, I had written, I had read all of the Dune books. So when I got to high school and you had to take a certain amount of English classes, I had taken all of them and they had to get me a tutor from Brown University. <laughs> so, and it's you know, stuff like this, this yeah. is why a lot of people are homeschooling now yeah. is because that way you can cater to the level that suits the child. Yeah. And yes, schools now are just terrible. At... Well, I they, mean, in the UK, oh, we don't like streaming children, is what they say. So, <laughs> the old school system that I went through, the school I went to, there was an upper class and a lower class for every subject. If you're good, right. you're in the upper class. If you weren't mm -hmm. good at it, you're put in the lower class. They're mm -hmm. not allowed to do that in schools anymore. And even most of the teachers are like, oh, that's not right. You know, nobody I mean, left behind yeah. and it's like some yeah. of the kids aren't capable of keeping up yeah, <laughs> what I mean, don't everybody, you get? <laughs> everybody is not the same and that's the problem the school system wants to teach treat you like you're an assembly line product one size fits all and that does not work when no. we all went to school if it took you two or three years to get the material from a certain grade level you were there for two or three years until you got it. Mm -hmm. um, and now, they I don't think they're allowed to hold them back at all. They, they can. Well, they can in, like, kindergarten, but at some point, well, have I talked about my, my niece? I've talked about my niece. The one that can't spell the word Inglewood. She's 22 and hasn't graduated from high school. <laughs> you know, um, she, works night as, she works nights as a bank cleaner, you know what I mean? Because she can't spell well enough to fill out a job application for any reasonable place she has no skills um this is the kind of children that no child left behind is turning out in society yes. and they yes. not only are completely incapable of thinking they're completely incapable of working because they've always been treated exactly the same 
there's a last first place trophy. I remember her getting them as a child in school and going, how do you get a last first place trophy? It, you know, how do you not lose? Nobody loses. Everybody's a winner. That's not true. That's not true. Yeah, but back, back when true. I was in school, if if that shit had happened, my, my dad would have been, would have probably taken me out of the school, even though he'd have gone to jail for it, because he, he'd have found it ridiculous. Well, it is yeah, ridiculous. He 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 he, not stayed on at school, but you know, I I I was learning loads of stuff, getting mm -hmm. a good education, right. and then if somebody had gone, oh well, everybody gets an award for participating, he'd have been like, what? You know, he's yeah. ex-military. It's like, no, you don't get... No, everybody doesn't get medals just for <laughs> exactly. trying up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a war zone. Oh, here's your purple heart. Thanks for showing up. That's not how that works. Hey, at least the purple heart, you have to actually get wounded. Well, you do. But I'm just... Well, <laughs> with, with some... Never mind. Um, schools are responsible for this, but in our country, probably not in yours, I can trace the problems with the education system and go back to the involvement of like the big corporations, the large corporations were very much involved with setting up the board of education and educational standards across the yep. board for yep. people in the United States. So like the Ford foundation, um, the Rothschilds were very involved. All the rich people were very involved and, and they had a philosophy that you didn't have to turn out people who thought you just needed to turn out people that were smart enough to run the machine. Well, I mean, the, in the UK, the problem stemmed from, funnily enough, in, in this case, it wasn't particularly the rich people. Uh, it was the overly liberal people. With the oh no, child should be left behind and all this this stuff. No child trying, should be left behind. Trying to bring children up completely wrapped in bubble wrap, and you now the rich people are involved because yeah. they did away with the old school systems. Rich people used to go to their own schools. Uh, mm -hmm. Poor people yep. went to their schools, which is still the mm -hmm. case. But now they're all in the one education system, <laughs> all <laughs> going for the same results basically. Yeah. League tables and all that nonsense. Um, and and of course now, big companies have got involved. Oh, we'll mm -hmm. build and run these schools and blah 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 blah, and turn school into business and all that. Yeah. But it wasn't until after the liberals had already got, gone to town with. Basically, no I'll say you you can't him. you you basically can't tell a kid he's stupid when he's stupid. Um. But <laughs> I mean, honestly, really. Those are the perfect kids to send to school to teach heating and air conditioning, yeah. to yeah. teach auto mechanics because their brains have evolved to understand this stuff. Which you, op I open a car engine and that's fucking spaghetti to me. That shit means nothing to me. Although if I cleaned everything and disassembled it, I could probably put it back together. Um, it would still mean nothing to me. But kids who maybe don't understand your basic math and science and all the other subjects are probably really great with that. Well, I mean, and no one, child one... would be left behind if we treated people like they are actually different. Well, one thing they've only yeah. realized fairly recently, I mean, everybody knows about dys dyslexia. Um, uh -huh. And yet one of the good things that was brought in, but it was in school when I was there, Mm -hmm. dyslexics got more time to do their exams and 
more time to study, etc. But teachers stayed after school to yeah, help them if they needed it. Exactly. Um, but one that's still not being dealt with mm-hmm. in schools now is they discovered there's also a version to do with numbers. I have some that. people that are just I have can't that. do maths. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I have that. It's 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 um, it, yeah, it's it's it is. It's a brain disorder right up there with that. Yeah. With well, it's, it's related yeah, to dyslexia. Yeah, yeah I have a bit of both. Uh, sort of. I have, I have so, the math. Um, yeah. I'm really good. I'm good with. To me, I'm good with reading and writing, but I could see that wrong. And how the fuck would I know? It's always looked that way to me. Yeah. But I've developed a way to deal with. But yeah, again, that was only dis- that. that was only t- started being talked about what about ten, fifteen years ago. Years but ago, schools still aren't mm-hmm. dealing with it right. <laughs> no, well, they're not dealing with much right at all, and you know. It, they're depending on how- money from the state and the federal government, so they tailor these programs their way. And it, it, it really is a whole ugly ball of wax where in the old days, everybody band together and they paid for a teacher to come to town. All the kids learned in one school room. Then you've also today got this issue where teachers make tenure and simply because they've shown up to work every day, for a certain period of time, they're granted the privilege of, it doesn't matter if they're a shit teacher or not, they still get to be a teacher. See, um, that, see that's one thing in the UK. You don't have tenured teachers. If a teacher screws up, world, they're gone. Have, yeah, that, and that's how it should be. If you can't do your job, you need to find a new job. So, well, my some, sister... There's, there's a couple of really top-flight British comedians that are ex-school teachers. Because... Yeah. They learned to be teachers, did it for a while, and are like, no, we can't cope with this, and became stand-up comedians instead. <laughs> Special person to be a teacher. It does. Now, my, I've got two different stories. So, My sister um, taught school down here, and then she moved back up north, and the school system was so unbelievable between here and there. She did whatever extra schooling was required and became a parochial school teacher. Because they're not held to the same standards. They can actually teach. You right. know, it's a private school. Yeah, most people don't want to send their school to a kid, their kid to a school with religious training, but those are held to different standards in this country. Yes, and they are. are allowed to really teach. So that's what she's done. Um, I listened to a podcast called um, The Black Tapes. And one of the producers, Paul Bay, used to be a teacher. And wound up leaving the education system um, just because of the standards they were forcing on people. They weren't allowing teachers to teach in Canada. And it became a podcast producer, and I guess not unsuccessful. Also became a stand-up comedian. So I thought that was funny and kind of related to what Barry was saying. That, you know, all these people leave teaching and become comedians. Well, yeah, I've... I've... The, the the most notable one, I've just dropped the link of his Wikipedia page in there. I mean, he, he managed 13 years in teaching. But he is hilarious, because some of his stories about stuff the teachers used to get up to in school. Yeah. <laughs> Especially exam modulation, you know, and the teachers watching <laughs> the kids doing the exams. Right. And he's like, the teachers used to come up with games to keep themselves amused. He'd have and, to. And the one, the one that got him major attention in the media was they came up with one game which was 
who could walk about looking, you know, behind the kids' backs, walking in the most camp way possible? <laughs> and he goes, I, I walk past, you know, I was, you know, I was doing that one day, and he says, one of the kids looked up and just went, shook their head and went, <sighs> and went back to doing their exams. He says, it was about that point I realised probably shouldn't be a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and th this is what the system has kind of thought about. Who knew? Wants to pick the next story. Uh, uh, scary uh, photo uh, lockdown. There we go. It's a nice short, uh, easy one. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> I believe Lenore Sinansky, who wrote one of my favorite blogs, Free Range Kids, uh, wrote this story. So, five or four. Oh, well. Cops forced school into lockdown mode because of a scary photo. It's hard to believe, huh? Police ordered a middle school in East Lansing, Michigan to shelter in place last Thursday afternoon. That is, to allow students to continue, but not to allow anyone to enter or leave the building, after a student took a photo of what appeared to be a person in a Ku Klux Klan robe. The McDonald Middle School student forwarded the photo to his or her parent. The parent apparently contacted the cops who issued the shelter order. They then went to investigate the threatening Klansmen. According to the Lansing State Journal, here's what they found. When police arrived, they discovered the photo did not show a person in a white robe. Rather, it captured the peak of a nearby home, according to East Lansing Police Lieutenant Steve Gonzalez. The shelter-in-place order was lifted shortly thereafter, Gonzalez said, once police determined there was no threat. Only the peak of a nearby house, which is white, was visible due to a hill obstructing the view. I guess there aren't that many solo clansmen hiking in full KKK regalia in lunchtime in East Lansing. But of course, now the schools understand and perform the types of protocol formerly combined to prisons, it's easy to have them react the same way. Which is true. That's how we've evolved in this country with the public education system. Yeah. Oh, the, the level oh. of stupid is just so high. Let me, let me take my shoe off and take a picture of my foot in a white sock and say I'm feeling threatened <laughs> that there's a KKK around. God! Would... Did anybody see the story about the cat? I mean, I, I don't like to break from, from protocol, but did anybody see the story about the cat? You'll have you to don't... narrow that down. You know the internet has about six quid, quid I know it billion. has about six billion cats, but hang, hang on, I'm going to get it for you. And um, you should actually be able to play this very um, once I get it to you because okay. it is quite amusing and it's a video link. So I, I think uh, people actually enjoy this one. There you go. Okay. Oh, yeah, I saw that one. Yes, it is funny. Yeah. It is fun. And the reason... <laughs> The reason I think this is funny is because society has reached all new levels of hysteria about things that aren't really a problem. Yeah, it's ready to go whenever you are. Okay, I'm ready when you are. Authorities respond to all sorts of calls about cats and trees, but typically they don't involve concerns about the feline shooting someone. On Tuesday, the Newport, Oregon Police Department was alerted to a cat who appeared to be armed, possibly with a semi-automatic weapon. 
and had situated itself high in a tree. Officers, both human and canine, responded to the scene, but ultimately determined that the cat was simply holding onto a branch that resembled a sizable and powerful firearm. According to the department's Facebook post about the incident, the cat was given a verbal warning for posing with what could be mistaken as an assault rifle while wearing poor camouflage attire. And you should see this cat. This cat's pretty fucking cute. Yeah. People, yeah, level of stupid, as I say, yeah. Well, it, it is level of stupid, but it's also a level of hysteria over non-existent things. Yeah, because everyone um, knows it's the squirrels you got to watch out for. <laughs> I don't know. I'm more scared of the rabbits. Monty Python taught me one thing. Always be scared of the rabbits. Bunnies. They look cute and furry. They'll get you every time. Yeah, them sharp teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Watch out for penguins on the telly, too. <laughs> I mean, it's not just me. The level of hysteria in the society has reached an all-time peak, but over stupid crap. Yep. Now, really, how many cats do you know? I mean, now I think having shot firearms and and being an enthusiast myself, I think a cat's gonna have a really hard time with the trigger break. I don't care if it has a third well, paw. And the concept of a cat having an exceptionally large semi-automatic weapon. Ooh, how big of a fucking cat are we talking here? <laughs> you, have you seen the video? The video. I mean, it's a little tiny cat. Yeah. I, I'm dropping something into chat and our chat. Um, yeah. <laughs> Aw, look at the kitty. Oh. See, those are those cats are the size of my Pomeranians. <laughs> yeah, but generally speaking, you know, cats cats generally don't kill people. I mean, I'll have to look up firearm statistics later on just for fun and see how many um, people <laughs> have been killed by cats with a firearm. But what more often happens is an infant wanders yeah. along and and finds a gun, and just bang, you know, kills their parents. Um, that's something to be afraid of, really. Yeah, there was, um, was a, idiots who a leave few their years guns ago, around. there was a two-year-old toddler who, they'd left the kid on the floor next to the bed. Mm -hmm. There was a loaded 9mm under the bed, which the kid got <laughs> oh hold God. of. Parent came in the room, the kid had fiddled with a gun and shot their parent through the head with it. Yep. And the kid, the That's... kid hadn't even picked up the gun. They, ju they're just, uh, and yeah. managed to pull the trigger. One, yeah, I mean, a loaded gun under your bed, really, and two. Yep. How hair tr trigger had you set the trigger for <coughs> that a baby could, you know, a two-year-old could set it off? Yeah. I mean, Jesus. That's, I mean, I didn't mean to go off into firearms, but I, I just wanted to kind of illustrate a point that we're hysterical about things that don't really matter. And yet, there's so many more challenging questions, things that mean something, um, things we need to be educated about. You know, there are bills that get passed every single day that affect the quality of life we lead, right? There are things that happen in your country and my country that affect the level of care we can receive. Um, there are arbitrary decisions made about your weight, your height, and how you live. 
that affect whether you can get health care and they're going to start affecting us in this country. And yet these things are never really discussed. Instead, you have people worried about the KKK man hiking by the school or the cat, with the large semi-automatic rifle in the tree. Um, it, it's a weird sort of almost dis, displacement. You know what I mean? Displaced priorities. And I don't think it can, I'm, I'm sure it can go on a lot longer and get a lot more ridiculous. But the simple fact is it, these things should not be being parodied. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly where to go with that. Okay. Um, I guess I'm going to pick one um, because this has always been one of my favorite stories. And the reason it's always been one of my favorite stories is because they're idiots. Okay. <clears throat> Saying red over school sunscreen ban. And I know we've talked about this before. Don't be fooled by by record-breaking liquid sunshine that has fallen virtually uninterrupted since last fall. Ignore the false prophets who would have you believe the Puget Sound's famously gray days blot out the sun's harmful rays. You'd better believe medical experts when they say Washington is among the states where skin cancer is most prevalent. In a country where 5 million people are treated for each year, Washington has the 8th highest rate of melanoma, the most lethal form of skin cancer according to the Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Blame it in part, on our pale epidermis for throwing up the white flag so fast when the sun finally does show its face. It doesn't help that our state does a lousy job teaching kids to have a healthy respect for the sun. Washington law goes so far as to discourage basic steps school children should take to protect themselves against the ultraviolet onslaught. For far too long, sunblock has been treated like a contraband drug in the hands of students, while brain block has prevailed among the adults. Lawmakers in Olympia finally corrected years of ignorance this week. The Senate followed the House in unanimously approving a bill allowing students to have topical sunscreen on public school property and at school activities. Because these products are regulated as over-the-counter items by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, kids were heretofore required to have a note from a parent or physician like they do for medications. Otherwise, no sunscreen for you. Meanwhile, some sly students exploited a loophole by carrying no limit of uh, carrying no limit of cosmetics in their backpacks, including some with some blocking qualities. You go, girls. Filed this legislation under the label Nanny State Deconstruction Projects, then cross-referenced it under the heading What Took You So Doggone Long? The chief's sorry, the chief sponsor, Senator Ann Rivers of La Center, summed it up perfectly by calling it a no-brainer. An official at the state school superintendent's office told a reporter that sunscreen restrictions hadn't generated much public concern, saying this issue was a surprise to us. They must not have been paying attention. In Tacoma alone, complaints have surfaced in recent years about the requirement of a doctor's note for a fifth grader to bring a tube of sunscreen to outdoor camp. And in 2012, a TNT columnist wrote about three girls in one family who went to the hospital with severe sunburns after their Tacoma elementary school field day. Mom didn't apply sunscreen in the morning because the day started out rainy. Even if she had, it would have sweated off during a full day of outdoor fun, sun, and games. Soon, they can slather it on at school with impunity after the governor signs the bill. Like students who turn in an assignment late, state leaders should receive partial credit for changing the law. But we're scratching our heads over an amendment adopted before the final passage in the bill's first sentence, which originally said students could possess and apply sunscreen. It now simply says possess. 
The bill later says that applying it is okay, but why make the language so needlessly muddled? No word on whether kids will be required to have a concealed carry permit on campus. Skin cancer researchers have long preached that one bad sunburn in childhood can double the chance of developing melanoma later, uh, but astonishingly, Washington is not alone in catching up with the dermatological doctrine. Oregon and California are among the states to authorize sunscreen at school in recent years. A total of seven states are considering legislation this year, including Arizona, land of a thousand sunburns. But it took this long to figure it out. It should leave them all feeling red-faced. On top of this, loads of schools won't allow kids to wear hats, which is one of the best things to do when it's really sunny. Uh, but no, you can't wear a hat. If, if you do something wrong, we might not be able to identify your face. <laughs> yeah, I'll be the yeah yeah. But yeah, I'll be I'll, the one with the hat, you jackass. I'll be I'll be the one who isn't sunburnt to hell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. I mean, the laws in this country are ridiculous, and the fact that they treat us all like idiot children. <laughs> Worse than idiot children is bad, but the fact that they treat kids who want to protect themselves as worse than idiot children, you know, is by far the worst. You know, when they talk about the nanny state, okay, that's one thing. No, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. But when they make laws making it impossible for you to do something or pass rules that make it impossible for you to protect yourself, that's ridiculous to the extreme. And it happens all the time. That was just a mild and kind of amusing little example. But this sort of thing happens all the time. Last year, I think it was Rhode Island finally passed a bill that allowed children to wear sunscreen at school. For God's sake, really? Well, and let's look at the fact, too, that, hello, over-the-counter means you do oh, not have counter. to have something from your doctor to say that you can use it. Yeah, you know. imagine parents um, going to the doctor to get a script for sunscreen. They'd be like, what? Are you insane? Exactly. <laughs> There are doctors that really get pissed off about that, and I don't blame them. I also That's a waste think of their time. The kids are not and all at school, for the love of God. Yep. You know, or, or chapstick. Give me a break. Yep. How are you going to... Oh, do, do you remember a few years ago where they <laughs> these kids were parodying all these um, war on drug messages saying that kids were getting high? By putting birds, bees, bee bomb on their eyelids, and they were calling it bees in it. Yeah. <laughs> and that was when they stopped allowing kids to use like chapstick and at school. Maybe you don't remember that, but it was all based on like a joke video from collegehumor.com, and some asshole politician took it seriously. Well, I'll tell you that that level I've of got, intelligence good, of our politicians. Go ahead. I've got a good yeah. true story for you. Now, okay. funnily enough, the. The teachers in the school did not end up banning anything on the back of this. But right, I had a friend, and we're in the countryside, aforementioned incredibly wet Scotland. Yes. Autumn, one of my classmates had a really stinking cold. Okay. So he, he'd he been um, eating tunes for his throat, you know, medicated okay. sweets for his throat. Right. Which has lots of menthol in them. Yeah. Lozenges, yeah. But he had a really blocked nose. So mm -hmm. I lent him an all-bus stick. Oh, wow. Okay. Right? Those are great. I so, love them. So, yeah. He, he cleared his nose up with that, but then was basically really quite high for a while, just <laughs> from the sheer quantity of menthol and pine needle residue that was in his system. Right. And, yeah, he couldn't do his work. 
because yeah, he was a bit spaced out. Um, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, he got sent to the nurse's office to sit and recover. But yeah, they didn't ban it when you know. <laughs> and funnily enough, yes, yeah, some of the kids once this was discovered were deliberately eating tunes and sniffing <laughs> all the sticks because that's what kids do. But <laughs> but yeah, no no banning required. Um, well, uh, I mean, I'll tell you, I don't know if you can get high off menthol, but I know when I first started DIYing, I made an, I made an e-liquid, and I used to exhale a lot through my nose, and I called that e-liquid ow, fuck my brain, um, <laughs> <laughs> because I added way too much menthol. Well, yeah, I and, mean, if you have a stuffy nose, if you exhale, when if you vape, if you exhale mm -hmm. through your nose, it clears up your sinuses nicely. Mm -hmm. Big time. The VG and PG like dry everything up and they're antibacterial. So yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it can stuff. be careful what f what flavor you use because yeah, some of them will hurt. Yeah. Some of those well, ones with chili in, yeah, don't do it with those, right? Chili. <laughs> yeah. People make you liquid. Oh, don't get me wrong. I mean, I mean, you heard the Diablo Loco. No, I mean, I'm they sure don't make I have it anymore, it's... but. Yeah. Yeah, and that was um that was a that was just a, a company in the UK that used Dicton to make Vapor. Yeah. Dicton and Vapor. They made liquid companies. Par yeah. Parma Violet and um But yeah, for a while they had favorites. one Diablo Loco, which was basically just chili. They made one, right? I mean just the flavor and I can't get it anymore in America. It's called Candy Floss. Yeah. Um I'll have to have a look your, for you. <clears throat> your your candy floss is very different from our cotton candy. Our cotton candy is just um, ethyl maltol. Yeah. This is very different. I mean, it, it has Ours so many layers to it. Sponge sugar, it's, yes. <laughs> yes, it's got incredible layers of depth to it, and it's amazing to vape. But, you know, ethyl maltol in BG sugar, it just doesn't, it does not replicate it. It does not yeah. replicate the experience in the mouth. Yeah, it re recently with the... Uh laws coming in various places yeah there has been a cross-contamination shall we say between uh, vapors across the pond i believe <laughs> lots of your compatriots have been buying lots of interesting uk flavors <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> now that they're now that they can get hold of them um yeah, yeah. I, i'm sure margot is very impressed with lots of the cake ones um, oh there's one or two i've played because, yeah, we, we, we like our desserts in the UK. Yeah. yeah. So how is the, the TPD? I know it's being enacted. Uh, fifth, um, for, yeah, fifth, 14, well, Saturday here where I'm sitting yeah. now. So 14 days away, yeah. I got my last <clears throat> legal UK order of nicotine this week. Really? UK, yeah, yeah, from I the UK. I saw online the the flavor art UK store. Um, oh yeah, massive sale on all the shops. On, on all the shops have got out. sales on. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, ten it's... mil bottles size limit. You can imagine <laughs> some of these shops have loads of stock to get rid of. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and this is ridiculous. So, Harry, are the shops going to be able to set up some kind of a deal for their customers where if buy four you get one free or some kind of deal like that because um they don't know for definite God, yet nice. because they're not supposed to do promotional activity which you'd think would include that but funnily enough they're being very vague about it 
So <laughs> you might be able to get buy buy three get one free. Uh, you might not. It just depends how they end up enforcing. The other thing that hit me as absolutely insane about that is think about the amount of trash that. Oh yeah. <laughs> It, it's insane. You're talking a four ounce bottle, but you're going to have 12 small bottles instead. And when you look at the volume of the garbage that's going to come from it, yep. it's crazy. And, mm -hmm. and just to put the icing on the cake, the tobacco part of the TPD, not the e-cig part. Right. So the e-cig part bans large bottles of e-liquid because mm -hmm. nicotine's dangerous. We can't have lots of nicotine around. <laughs> then you switch over the to ten the... ten packs. Yeah. Ten packs. Yeah, yeah, you can't buy small packs of cigarettes and tobacco anymore. So the smallest packet of cigarette size you'll be able to buy is 20. And the smallest pouch of rolling tobacco you'll be able to buy is 20 grams. You know, so they've done away with all the smaller sizes. The because, well, packs. you know, people won't be able to so easily afford to smoke. When you, like, say you people are pack, fucking nuts. You're right? talking 20 cigarettes to a pack? Yeah. yeah. No, no, a smaller pack was a 10 pack. Yeah, they used to get, and the vending used machines to used to, to do 10s. 16s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here, wow. well, not here, but in oh. New Hampshire and, <laughs> New Hampshire and stuff, you used to be able to get um, 30 packs of Marlboro's when I smoke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are, there are a few brands in the UK that used to do 24 and 26 packs, but it wasn't common. 20 was the standard. 20 and 10 was the standard yeah. here. Yeah. But now but... they're going to be banned, along with menthol. Yes, yes, the yeah. EU has banned menthol cigarettes. Yeah, okay. Uh, I menthol can't remember is the which hardest... one it was. Thomas will probably remember. One of the ex-chancellors of Germany bought basically a truckload of menthol cigarettes yeah, a couple of years back. Yeah, he did. And <laughs> he's the only guy you still see smoking in Parliament. Yeah. You know, he smokes wherever he goes and but he doesn't As soon as give the TPD fuck. came in, he basically ordered a container of menthol yeah. cigarettes. Uh, a shipping container, yeah. yeah. Um, but menthol, oddly enough, would be the easiest thing to DIY. Yeah. I mean, even for cigarettes, for oh, yeah, I mean, we, sake. We, we were telling that to some of the more friendly religious leaders. We're like, it's ridiculous. If somebody wants a menthol cigarette, they can buy a normal cigarette and put one menthol crystal at the base of the filter and they'll have a menthol cigarette. Well, I mean, <laughs> you don't have to have the whole crystal. No, yeah. well, fuck no. That's going to be that's gonna be like a cool... Yeah, that, that would <laughs> strip the mucus lining from your mouth. Just you, you haven't had European menthol down. cigarettes, have you? The menthol cigarettes over here have quite a lot of menthol in them. They must have <laughs> I can't stand menthol, though, so... I like menthol. What I used to really like, my favorite thing when I first started vaping, um, I got really hooked on inhalers, 555 with menthol. Yeah. I loved 555. 555 like, State Express, yeah. Brilliant yeah, when mean, mixed with 7-leaf. Yeah. It, it has quite a different flavor from the usual tobaccos that we're used to, the usual tobacco flavors we're used to here, um, which kind of another one that's died out is, sweet. Another one that's died out that was quite good was DK Tab. I, I didn't like DK Tab. Yeah, it's very, did, very earthy, but yeah. I did like the 555, um, but like I said, I think the UK tobacco flavors were very different from ours. Oh, yeah. This is... Well, this, all, all our tobaccos are... Yeah, again, 
it's kind of like back to the coffee thing. Most British tobacco brands, they're all slow dried, not roasted or mm-hmm. massively, you know, there's more naturally flavored as well. And that's yeah, the same for I'm, most of the European brands. None of this yeah. roasting the shit out of it. So it, <laughs> it, it tastes burnt before you've even lit it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and yeah, we, you, go ahead. There used to be um, a brand that you could get before all the tobacco bullshit passed over here. Um, the brand was Sweet Dreams, and I think it came out of Belgium. Okay. Mm-hmm. They made a vanilla that was oh, yeah. just to die for. Oh, I, I, I was God, a flavored tobacco like... smoker before I, I took I, up vaping. So. I really, really, the reason I started vaping is because they got rid of clothes. That's, that's I, the honest to God truth. Hey, they're um, not banned do, in the EU. I don't think clove cigarettes. You can still of get course them. not. <laughs> they no, banned we menthol banned though. Here. Weirdly, we, we banned them here though. We didn't yeah. ban menthol. We banned we banned yep. cloves here though because the fuck those fucking goth kids. Um, they're just well, yeah. Again, too... not exactly hard to get round. Oh, I know. Well, you could, but it doesn't really taste the same when you do it yourself At because decent clove oil it will. Just proper... put a few drops in the in the tobacco. Proper, Indian, proper, proper, proper Indonesian tobacco that where where it has a clove flavor. I mean, it's blended with so many things. It's blended with different fruit extracts and different oils, um, different herbs. There's some cinnamon in there. There's like yeah. six or seven other things. There's three or four fruits. You can DIY it, but it's not going to be the same. Trust nope. me, I tried. <laughs> And so didn't, yeah Dan, were you still smoking when they stopped selling all the flavored cigarettes uh i must have been because they used to have like a vanilla and a bubble gum and yeah, think, grape, did, you, did you notice that that's also when the flavor of cigarettes that the flavor it, it changed it's when they started pumping thousands more chemicals into it and they started tasting like absolute shit (laughs) yeah well they started making it out of sheet tobacco instead of proper regular tobacco because sheet tobacco was a lot easier for them to manipulate and change and i mean i don't know if you ever diy with seed mints i'm not Um, a tobacco vapor so no okay all right so seed mints they're just kind of extracts and flavors that get sprayed on tobacco, right? By tobacco companies to give them these flavors or by people who like grow their own people like Audrey Silk who, who grow their own tobacco to say, you know, fuck you to the state. They would use something like Seedman's to give it a more commercially blended flavor. Um, the Seedman's taste incredibly strange in, in, in e-liquid, but a lot of that is in our regular, you know, tobacco that you get, unless you get tobacco leaf, which is pretty much unprocessed. Um, and unprocessed tobacco that's just sort of dried, if you're not really good at it, let's say taking your leaves and sweating them or doing certain things to them to cure them. Uh, tobacco, the tobacco that somebody rolls and smokes themselves, it takes about two or three years to age enough to change the chemical in it so that it tastes smokable, right? Well, ju- just just to give you an idea, uh, okay. the place I used to buy my tobacco from, 
uh, for the several years before I gave up smoking. I've put it in the chat. Okay. Yeah, my favorite flavors were vanilla dark, Dutch gold, black cherry gold, cherry and vanilla gold. Okay. Yeah, proper tobacco shop and yeah. proper tobacco. Right. Not uh, yeah. sprayed with six billion chemicals. Chemicals. Um, it's very different. It's very difficult to try to replicate those flavors in e liquid oh, yeah. simply because oh, you're impossible. not going to get that complexity. Yeah. I mean, they, and they even people... have a rum one and a toffee one and Ooh. peach. And yeah, th that's what I was smoking yeah. before I became a vapor was all these beautiful yeah. flavored um, tobaccos. See, I wasn't, but you know, I was hooked on the. Marlboro shit, and then later on I moved on to cloves. I loved cloves. And, and we cloves better get back favorite. to the show, though. Sorry. <laughs> we've, we've yeah, well, I was going to say, big, hey. Big wonder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oops. Uh, yeah, I, uh, okay. Somebody somebody pick a story before we turn this into. George, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, we, we kind of went shiny for a minute. <laughs> a minute. Uh, I think people will be surprised. They'll be like, wow, they talked about vaping and tobacco mm -hmm. on a vaping show. What the hell? <laughs> the homeschooled children. Uh, okay, very said. Georgia, I'll do Georgia first, and then we'll go to uh, the school children. Okay. okay. Report, Georgia deputies conduct warrantless search of high school, pat down 900 students. This was written by Radley Balco, uh, who wrote a fabulous book called Rise of the Warrior Cop. Anyway. Uh, Georgia TV station WALB is reporting this month that deputies in Worth County conducted a drug dog sweep, followed by personal searches of students at Worth County High School. According to WALB, all 900 students were patted down. Some students categorized the pat-downs as quote-unquote aggressive. Worth County Sheriff Jeff Holby, I'm sorry, Jeff Hobby, declined to go on camera but talked about the search in a telephone interview. The sheriff requested drug-sniffing dogs from the state, and the Crisp County Sheriff sent canine units. When asked about the pat-down of students and the notion of probable cause, Hobby said that as long as the school administrator was present, the personal search of the children was legal. But school administrators aren't exactly backing the sheriff up, stating that while they were present, they didn't authorize the searches, and suggesting that they too found them excessive. Tommy Coleman, attorney for the Worth County School Board, responded to Hobby's statement. Coleman clarified that those conditions conducting the search would need particular circumstances or facts to justify it. Interim Worth County Superintendent Lawrence Walters said he understands parents' concerns about the drug search at Worth County High School on Friday. Quote, I've never been involved in anything like that, even in the past 21 years, and I don't condone it, Walters said, end quote. Walters said in March, Jeff Hobby told him his department was going to do a drug search at the high school after spring break. We did not give permission, but they didn't as, they didn't as, ask for permission he just the sheriff said that he was going to do it after spring break said walters walters assumed the search would be similar to the ones he had seen in his 40 plus years in education from his experience the way friday search was done was unusual under no circumstances did we improve touching any students explained walters incredibly this is the second time in a month that this has happened the sylvester police department conducted a similar search last month after a few students got picked up for a string of robberies, suggesting there was drug activity at the school. That search turned up nothing. As WALB puts it, Hobby didn't think that search was thorough enough, so he conducted one of his own. Hobby's search didn't turn up any illicit drugs either, which suggests these cops aren't just ignorant of the Constitution 
They're also not particularly good at their jobs. They not only made national news by conducting an illegal search based on information that turned out to be badly wrong, they also managed to search an entire high school, subject themselves to a likely lawsuit, and not find any illegal substances. In 2003, police in Goose Creek, South Carolina, conducted a similar sweep at Sanford High School. In 20, 2006, the school and police department agreed to a settlement that paid out $6,000 to $12,000 per student search. That search was about 150 students. Worth County had better hope its insurance is paid up. Yeah, look, another sheriff who thinks he's God. There we go. I can do what I like. I'm the sheriff. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's great, isn't it? This is this is the kind of problem we have. Country. Okay. Homeschool children to be released from state custody. Outrage spread across the nation in February after a mother in Buffalo, New York, was stripped of her parental rights over a decision to homeschool her children. But now, after months of separation, a local court has finally restored Carrie Harris's custodial rights, and her children will be coming home, kidnapped by the state. After feeling that the local school district had failed her children, Harris, a single mother of two, made the decision to pull her kids out of public school and homeschool instead. Harris complied with all the local regulations governing how children are legally allowed to be withdrawn from public school in favor of homeschooling, but a failure over the school district's end resulted in unwarranted government intervention. Unfortunately, the district's mistake resulted in Harris's two children being forcibly removed from her care and placed in state custody where the mother was only allowed supervised visits. On Wednesday, after hearing at the Erie County Family Court, a judge granted personal custody back to Harris. But in an odd turn of events, Harris was arrested again while attempting to leave the courthouse. Insult to injury. The absurdity of the case and the severity of the state's decision to yank the two children out of the comfort of their home helped Harris draw an outpouring of support as her story quickly spread. However, this flood of support is somewhat what ultimately led to Harris being charged with obstruction of government administration. A group of Harris supporters had gathered outside the courthouse in support of the family during the hearing. Among these supporters was Damone Henderson, who was passing out t-shirts that read, Hands Off Harris's Children. While it is unclear how it was discovered, police officers stationed at the courthouse were alerted to an outstanding warrant Henderson had with the family court and proceeded to arrest him. When he resisted, he was pepper sprayed. Unfortunately, this was just as Harris was coming out of the courthouse and upon seeing her friend in the scuffle with law enforcement, ran over to and placed her hand on the back of one of the arresting officers, the offense that resulted in her newest criminal charge. Harris's attorney, Matt Ab Aberts, said of the matter, I guess they were saying she put her hand on out to stop another officer from jumping in and beating up her friend. That's the most what she could have possibly done in that instance. Luckily, Alberts is confident that this new charge will not impact the judge's decision to give Harris back her children. However, while the imminent return of her children should be enough of a reason to give Harris a cause for celebration, she will soon have to return to court to answer for the new charge, further demonstrating that no matter how hard you try, you can't fight City Hall. Level of stupid. I keep saying it, but you know. <laughs> It, it does seem to be getting exponentially higher in some circles and then exponentially lower in others. So she's Although, legally allowed to homeschool, but they didn't like it, so they arrested her anyway. I mean, mm -hmm. well, took the kids away anyway. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. But that's what we're dealing with here. They want to make homeschooling Yeah, again, illegal. the judge just shouldn't be going, yeah, that's it, release the kids back to her, blah, blah, blah. He should be imposing a massive fine 
on the officials that did that. I agree. I agree, but that's for some reason that's not going to happen. And um, I, I really, he I can't contribute to this judge's reelection committee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's part and parcel of the problem is everything becoming so uh, stratified in that that sort of money for favors thing which is just ridiculous it's ridiculous you know an honest person can't win an election well i mean we've talked about it before this is why we don't have voted for judges our police our our police are trained work as policemen and get promoted same as Mm -hmm. people would in the military a police chief doesn't get appointed. Uh, groups of his peers meet, and the police chief gets chosen by his compatriots. Um, wow. It's not a, well, ask the public to vote on every single person who works for the public. Because, <laughs> oh, shit, we have more to be getting on with than voting on stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the police here is chosen by the city council. That was so, great. So if you have a nice oh, corrupt yeah. city council, you get like yeah, boss exactly. hog. You it get your local boss hog. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's uh yeah the system, whatever system we're relying on to run things, everywhere is badly in need of reform. Or you know I'm a big fan of saying scrap this shit altogether and let's start with something new. We're at the point, and I'm not a fan of democracy in the sense that the person who is the least represented minority is going to get fucked. But we're all getting fucked now. So we're at the point where direct democracy is a really feasible way to go about things, where you vote on what happens to you. You know, and you could cut out all the middlemen, most of them, most of the politicians. You could cut out 99% 99% of the judges in the courts this way. But, you know, politicians don't want to hear that. But that's the truth. That's going to happen. Well, Otherwise, yeah, I mean, you're going to have this extreme balkanization that you're starting to see in the United States. I mean, the huge one for me is is judges in your country. I mean, I've said it before. It's like, mm-hmm. It should not be a political appointment. It should not be a voted appointment. It should be people who have worked for years in I've the law. It, yeah. And yet again, their names put forward by their peers. It's like you get made a judge. Because people mm-hmm. think you're good at it. Not because <laughs> you're popular with the public or some rich sponsor. <laughs> I mean... Well, and yet our system good. isn't perfect. We do have crazy judges over here. But we've talked about that before. They tend yeah, they to just... be retired quietly. Like, well, okay, were, you're were... only going to be doing traffic court from now on. <laughs> and then slowly they're phased out of that as well, you know. I mean, yeah. they don't, they don't, it's very rare a judge here gets sacked. It does happen, though. <laughs> well, I mean, at least it happens. Yeah. We, we have some real problems here. And like I said, there are solutions to it. I'm not in love with the level of technology going forth, but I do think... What's Jam going to happen? Solutions, those solutions imply common sense, though. Well, and right. Well, this means core, I... that's really the problem is common sense has left the fucking building. But it hasn't left the building. 
we're talking it's about things right now. hiding in the cupboard, now. scared. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. It hasn't left the building. We're having these common sense discussions, the three of us, right now. Other people are having them everywhere. They're just afraid to come out because they're going to upset somebody. You've got anti-fascists beating the shit out of people. When the fuck did that happen? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yep. You've got people being beat up for saying what they believe, no matter how fucking ridiculous it is. Um, don't get me wrong. I understand the anti-fascists have, have a view and they have a way of thinking. and But there's a whole level of crazy in the way people are relating to each other. And a lot of it has to do with their general dissatisfaction at the dysfunction at our governmental levels. Because well, people expect something from government they're not we're going doing to get. A, we're doing a show, mostly, about uh -huh. how kids are treated in your country. <laughs> and it's not just your country. It's most of the Western world. Um, mm -hmm. And yet, people aren't taught... I mean, it came up when it was in the, the story about the Dutch children. Yeah. Personal responsibility. People are yeah, not taught exactly. personal responsibility anymore. It's always mm -hmm. somebody else's fault. Somebody else should be taking care of that. Oh, very. You sound so very, very Republican right now. <laughs> um, I I don't have a set political. Uh, I I know, but I, I'm just I, saying. I tend, yeah, I mean, I, t I tend to make. Those, I know you do. Those tests See, explode. I hear it as yeah, I did too. But I'm saying like that—that that used to be an argument that you know Ronald Reagan and his ilk would yeah. put out about public resp uh, personal responsibility for what you do. You hardly ever hear that argument being made anymore. Everybody's a victim. Yep. You know, the real victims in this are the kids who are going to grow up all fucking screwed up. Well, well, you're you're a particularly orange leader, uh, although he's been. <laughs> He's going more orange again. He, he was less Captain orange for a Cheeto. while. But yeah, but look at the way he behaves. I know. Legislation people... that he, he wants to go through doesn't go through. and he, It's everybody's fault but his. And, you know, there are people who are like, oh, he's great. He's going to take care of us. I'm like, that's not going to happen. If, if you <laughs> don't rise up and take care of you, you're fucked. You're so fucked, right? All the times when you spent money in your 20s when you shouldn't have, when you should have been saving it so you could pay off your house, you could have something that you built equity in, you know, all this shit comes back and bites you in the ass when you're in your 40s and 50s and then you're going, I can't retire. I yeah. can never retire. Well, there were, there were times when you went out and partied when you were in your 20s that you shouldn't have. And there was money you blew on a pair of Manolo Blahnik shoes you shouldn't have bought. I mean, all of these things come into factor later on in life, and no one wants to believe that, but it's the absolute truth. Yep. So, there's always that. Does anybody want to pick another story? Because they've all been so fun. Pick one. Uh... Yeah, take responsibility, John. Pick a story. <laughs> all right. Too dangerous. This is not in this country. W.A. Schools banned headstands and cartwheels. W.A. School has banned children from doing cartwheels and headstands because the practice is, quote, too dangerous, end quote. Parents at Bunbury Primary School say they, be, they are bewildered children aren't allowed to engage in the practice on school grounds. My granddaughter told me last night going home, and I think it's absolutely ludicrous, one parent said. My granddaughter told me last night going home, and I think it's absolutely ludicrous, one parent said. 
These people need a fucking editor. I don't know where it has come from, but that's what they do, and they've been doing it for years, and I don't know what the problem is with it, another added. The school says before the activity began, at least two students each day were going to the office with injured wrists. This is not about stopping kids from taking risks and having fun, but attempting things like flips or headstands on bitmutin and sloping grass areas without learning how to do it properly is never a good idea, school principal Shane Doherty told 7 News. But parents say the ban has gone too far. I think it's ridiculous, parents said. What happened to kids just being kids and being allowed to play? The school says the ban is only temporary at this stage. We like to see kids out there being active. And we know kids who aren't active who actually get injured more, WA CEO Scott Phillips said. It's not the first time public schools have banned children from performing cartwheels and headstands, with a New South Wales school issuing a ban in 2012 and a Queensland school banning the practice in 2014. Australia, the nanniest yes. country outside North Korea. <laughs> well, yeah, but okay. North Korea's also got that. Go ahead. I'm still stuck on this. It's not about stopping kids from taking risks or having fun, but attempting these things Without on sloping grass areas. Kids doing this on on a hill. Um, are they trying to do it going up the hill or <laughs> down the hill? Because, you know, when I was a kid, that was kind of one way you were how to do it. But we were smart enough to know you do it going down the hill instead of trying to climb up the hill doing it. Hey, hey, but, 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 when I was in school, if somebody didn't go home hurt, it hadn't been a proper school day. Well, I have a question. How does one grandparent comment on something and be labeled a parent? Yeah. That was my question about this, but I mean that's that's mild considering the story. Raising the grandkids. Yeah, but I don't know. I think I, there are other I gotcha. ways. I gotcha. I, I think there were other ways to perhaps put that. Um I like this one. Creating a spree-free childhood, Doug McIntyre. Tag, you're it. What kid hasn't simultaneously relished and reviled the title, feeling as though it may be of it? Before we are Mr. or Mrs. Sir or Senator, we're literally tagged it by our peers. Being in the game of tag on a school playground instantly thrusts even the shyest wallflower into the brightest spotlight in all of kiddom. For those of you raised on another planet, here are the rules of tag. Someone is designated it, and that kid must tag another kid it to shake off the dreaded designation. It sounds simple enough, but it can kids can be harder to catch than the 6 a.m. shuttle to San Francisco when they're trying to avoid the stigma of it. It means a mad dash across the schoolyard with hands flailing wildly left and right in a life or death bid to shed the onerous stigma by passing it on to someone, anyone else. Zigzagging to avoid the outstretched hands of the leper-like it child has been known to result in slips and falls, knee scrapes, bruises, ripped clothing, and even, God forbid, cracked cell phone screens. And that's why tag is now on the endangered species list of once common childhood practices like sandlot baseball and handwritten thank you notes to Aunt Helen for the $10 Chipotle gift card. When children bleed, lawyers circle. Goldridge Elementary School in Folsom, California, is the latest school to make national news when the principal, David Frankel, notified parents and students last week that he was banishing TAG. 
students were instructed that physical contact, including tag games, touch football, etc., were not allowed on the yard, Frankel said. Similar prohibitions have popped up from coast to coast, with school administrators banishing childhood staples like dodgeball, which fucking always hurt, uh, and other rites of passage in an attempt to laminate that next generation from life's sharp edges and insulate school districts from the tsunami of litigation that consumes billions of dollars in court settlements every year. In my less litigious childhood, recess was a daily fight for survival. As a toe-headed tadpole in St. Elizabeth's School in New York, a three-story Catholic school institution surrounded by a sea of asphalt, playtime was not for the faint of heart. Our daily recreation included a game called Kill the Man with the Ball, an activity that makes tags seem like Zen meditation. KTMWTB had, like, tag, few actual rules. Some alpha dog would produce a pink rubber ball known as a ball bean at the start of recess and hurl it as high in the sky as possible. Inexplicably, the rest of us would leap and claw to catch it as if it were a sack of rice dropped from an aid helicopter. Whoever came down with the ball would then be chased across the schoolyard by the entire student body and pummeled with fists, feet, and teeth until he or she relinquished the ball bean, instantly igniting a new cycle of violence. When the ball, when the bell would finally ring, signaling the end of recess, the nuns would cart the dead and dying to the nurse's office, where presumably next of kin would come to collect the remains. Of course, nobody ever died, and nobody ever sued, ever. Our version of dodgeball was known as cannonball, and lived up to what its name implied, a chaotic firing squad of flying projectiles slamming into your head and stomach in the more sensitive regions from point-blank range, with glasses and retainers flying, Taking the occasional bicuspid with it, Cannonball was a weekly terror endured by millions of American children until the rise of the nanny state. While the temptation is great to lord the rough-and-tumble recesses of my youth over today's Pokemon-gathering snowflakes, I am tempered by two realities. My father's generation spent their school recesses drilling for World War II, and today's kids often have to negotiate hostile gang turf just to get to and from school. Fractured family drugs, sexting, and the occasional... Dylan Keebold and Eric Harris or Adam Lanza intent on actual murder and mayhem, uh, something unthinkable while I was dodging balls or trying to take to tag Mike Constantine it. Banning physical contact on the schoolyard might be an idiotic overreaction to life's simplest challenges, but maybe we do these things because we have no idea how to protect our kids from so many of life's actual traumas. Maybe that's it. Yeah, like I said, in my school, it wasn't a proper school day and my somebody was bleeding by the end of it. Um, yeah. Or had something dislocated or, yeah. Yeah. Our most extreme game, and this was in secondary school, <laughs> so older. Right. Involved knives. Oh God. People used to stand um, a, a few metres apart from each other and mm -hmm. each person had a knife and you stood with your legs spread and the object was to throw the knife as close as the other person's foot as possible <laughs> and that was and a game and not <laughs> hit the foot yeah funnily enough nobody ever had their foot hit with a knife the whole time <laughs> we're doing that um, well, the teachers never found out because we did it out of sight of the teachers <laughs> Lots of games did get banned at our schools. British Bulldogs, blah blah blah. Incidentally, I, 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 I seldom took part in it or tag because <laughs> I got really long arms and really fast reactions. <laughs> so some idiot had come running up to me and go it, and before they could get out of the way again, I'd have tagged them back. 
So I stopped being included in that particular game. Um, <laughs> Because literally, the person who tagged me immediately got tagged back again. So, <laughs> makes the point. <laughs> it's really weird. I um, before I left um, home, I visited my old school, and we used to have like basketball courts and hopscotch and all this stuff. And he went around. All those were gone. They were on asphalt. And go around back, and they took the lawn. And they filled it with like shredded rubber tires, and that was where the kids played because it was safe. Yeah, they say that, but then a bit of that gets up the kids' nose, and you know, right. <laughs> I've seen right, it happen. What... <laughs> I believe kid it, falls over, I'm... stuff goes up his nose. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's worse than falling on tarmac. Right, but what I'm saying is, I mean. Everybody's all focused on everything should be green and natural, healthy. I don't know. I don't think playing in old shredded rubber tires is natural, healthy, or safe. No. Maybe it's just me. But well, and what happened with with learning how to take a bump or a bruise? You know, there. That's going to happen in, in life. hindsight. I can look. Back. Yeah, I, I've. There are times I look back and I really do feel sorry for my mom because you have to keep in mind my mom was five foot nothing and we're like a size three. Right. Um, I hit five nine and <laughs> she wanted this little petite, sweet, cute ballerina thing. <laughs> and so she would force me to go to dance classes. And then they had these stupid recitals every single year. You could look at this row of little girl knees up on a stage, and there was always one knee that was raw meat. And guess whose knee it was? Yours. That's what kids do. Mm-hmm. Uh, dear God, let them go outside and fall down and know what it is. To, oh, those pieces of gravel have to come out of your knee or your elbow. Mm-hmm. Um it builds immune systems. It builds character. It develops pain tolerance. <laughs> Let me put it this way. I got a concussion playing on the playground at school. That was interesting. Oh, that's rough. That sucked. But, you know, it, it, um, you really do learn a whole lot about yourself and pain and scrambled brains. Yeah. Like, no, I mean, just how things change. Um, yeah. And, you know, funnily enough, after that, I started getting migraines. So who knows whether that's related or not? Well, I mean... Nobody knows. People know, are familiar with badminton, yes? Mm-hmm. Usually yes. considered a quite genteel pastime. Well, I mean, it's Did like... Did it in our play, school? Somebody went to hospital and needed, like, six stitches. I'm going to guess playing lawn croquet was not like a big thing for you guys. Basically, by the time I left that school, they'd stopped doing rugby, shinty, hockey. (laughs) They did do basketball, but they'd brought in lots of rules about how the kids did that. Um, Because there are many, many broken collarbones. Um, Well, that's going to happen with blocking and all that. 
Well, no, people deliberately... Farm kids, you know what country kids are like. The the person with a ball would jump up in the air and deliberately come down on somebody else's collarbone with their elbow. (laughs) Yeah, that that was normal. But, you know, so they had to basically do all these specific (laughs) rules for our school. Um, So, yeah, I, I didn't... We didn't do any of those sports when I was at school. Basically, so my, my generation, it was like, you guys are dangerous. You're not allowed to do that shit. <laughs> Rugby, that's like a rite of passage there, isn't it? Um, less so in Scotland. But yeah, rugby's oh. played. Uh, we, we, <laughs> we, Scotland, we have shinty and Gaelic football, which okay. make rugby look like something, well... Something you do on a Sunday for fun? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if you ever watched Shinty and Gaelic football. Trust I've me, if you watch it, you'll be go. Really, there's rules. Because <laughs> yeah, you really know, in, you know, like in hockey, they're not allowed to take the stick above shoulder height. Oh, they used to be able to. God, that was great. I used yeah, to love no, that. Shinty. There's the the only rule. In, I mean, it's called Shinty for a reason. <laughs> One, the sticks are shorter. But are mm-hmm. more hooked, right? And still made out of solid wood. <laughs> <laughs> so when you get hit by one of those, and it could be anywhere on your body, um, yeah, it hurts. You, you know it. <laughs> and Gaelic football, a perfectly practical way to get hold of the ball. I mean, it's related to rugby and all these other games, but mm-hmm. it's with a round ball. <laughs> Because, you know, okay. that's a ball. It's ball-shaped. Yeah, um, basically, yeah. <laughs> but a perfectly reasonable way, and they do this in Australian rules football as well, a perfectly legal way to get hold of a ball flying overhead is to run up the back of one of the opposition <laughs> to get hold of it. <laughs> you know, I mean... <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we used to actually, you know, engage in quite a lot of blood sport kind of thing here, at least with hockey. Yeah, it's I mean, changed so much I can't even watch it. I mean it anymore. the most it's violent boring. the most my violent North American sport now is probably ice hockey. And guess what? Yeah, that's, that 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 was imported. Um Yeah, but I'm saying we, we used to play that shit violently and teeth and blood yeah. and oh yeah, that was oh, yeah. a watch. Tussles and great, just great, oh, great, people piling on each other on the up. Great film for people to watch if they're not familiar with the history of ice hockey. Go watch the film Goon. It's hilarious. <laughs> and it's kind of based on truth. That's, okay. you know, the, the, um, the main character is an, an old-fashioned ice hockey enforcer. So he's on the ice not because of his hockey ability. He's there to beat people up. <laughs> you know, that's his job, basically. Protect our team from their team injuring them too much by injuring them. Like I said, like I, I miss that. And yet and the, think... the ice hockey stems from Scottish yeah. people right. <laughs> yeah. well, being I mean, violent it... on ice. Um, yeah, but it comes I mean... from, a lot of it comes from Shinty. That, that well, explains a lot of the aggression. Uh, well, I mean, it... it... Because yeah, you, you you it was quite what well, it wasn't until the seventies that high sticking became an offence in ice hockey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it came well, from shinty. It's like overhead slash, perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> now, like I said, when I was a kid, you know, I used to watch hockey. Yeah, 
And it, it, it got progressively less violent until I got progressively bored enough that I was like, oh, look, MotoGP. Oh, <laughs> look, it's the Isle of Man. Oh, look, people are just like well, flying you, off you, those bikes and going an into the crowd. And, if yeah, you want an great. alternative, you'll find loads of shinty videos on YouTube. And you can oh, watch mm -hmm. people be violent with sticks on a ball. Well, I'm just saying, I think we got a lot of aggression out as a society watching that shit, and it made us better deal with people as as, as people. Yeah. You know, repressing our violent urges. I mean, but yeah. not just childhood, adulthood. Repressing your violent urges is, I don't think it's healthy. I think it leads to a profoundly fucked up society like what you see today. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the quantity of serial killers and mentally disturbed people has gone up massively. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not saying blood sport's a way to deal with everything. No. But I am saying, I think as a society, we purged a lot of that shit that way. Yet humans still have their primitive selves. Yeah. You can't I, just I, ignore it. <laughs> it doesn't just go away because you want to pretend that we're all evolved and shit. We're not... Doesn't we still have that limbic reptilian part of our brain. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It still likes to get fed. Go ahead. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be, quote, blood sport either. Um, the last time that Steve and a bunch of his friends got together to play football, I mean, we're talking adults here. Uh, <laughs> they went to a park to play football with a broken arm. Another guy had to find a dentist because a tooth was knocked out. <laughs> and a third one had a dislocated shoulder. Do you think there were any pads or helmets while they were playing? And they were Fuck all no. friends. They were Fuck all no. friends playing a friendly game of football. You yeah, know, then the blood keep, gets up and... Yeah. I, keep telling, I keep telling people my favorite movie is Fight Club. Right? And there's a real reason for that. And it's not just that every time I see it, I see more profoundly fucked up shit about our society in it. It's because, you know, there's a scene where Brad Pitt says, you know, I see the greatest generation of men in this room and they're, they're wasting their lives as white collar workers or pumping gas or as waiters. You know, no one has that sort of, of primal thing anymore. And, and that, that part of your brain does still exist it does still need to be fed and if you don't feed it you get shit like charles manson i i will yeah. say the writer of fight club had obviously never worked in catering because <laughs> restaurant staff are insane clean food <laughs> clean food please may i suggest you don't eat the clam chowder yeah and, and lots of violent stuff gets get, happens in kitchens and I've got to tell you, and, yeah. Oh yeah, I've got to tell you, like, the author of Fight Club has written some really amazing stuff. If you want to read something that's fictional but really feeds your brain, any of Chuck Palahniuk, I think that's how you pronounce his name, books are really good for that. Oh, They're another good screen good. moment for aggressive sports is, here's an old, old one for you, Friends. When Ross agrees to play rugby with his English girlfriend's friends. <laughs> yeah, that was not Hilarious. a good idea. It was not a good idea. The state of him afterwards. It's just... <laughs> yeah, that's sort of life. And Ross, Shell-shocked is 
possibly a mild description of what he's like after playing rugby for I the mean, first time. I mean, but it, it was Ross, you know? Yeah. You know, back when I used to watch TV, you know, Ross well, was the most effeminate one. The so. thing people find <laughs> yeah. hilarious about rugby, right, in the, in the U.S., American football, majorly, it's lots of, you know, people, it's, American footballs, they're out from a poor background or whatever. They get a sports scholarship, whatever. Mm-hmm. UK rugby, it's mostly like public school or for the US, yeah. private school educated. So they're all like, oh, these people that talk quite quite well like that. <laughs> I think. <laughs> and then think you look it, at their face that's like, he looks like he's gone 20 rounds in a boxing ring. Yeah. But, but I've his, say, the, like, what he's, here, the way he's talking does not match up with the sport he's doing. You know? No. Here, like the first draft picks, the, the names are, they're interesting this year. I saw a man who was picked and his name is uh-huh. Um, the, the first draft the first draft picks there's a lot of apostrophes in names there's a <laughs> lot of really unusual names and I was like Dutta? Dunta? What, what, the, what were you trying to say and somebody told you you had a son you went duh and they ran with it I just I don't I don't know I think, uh, I think the answer is a lot of parents are really high on something when they get to <laughs> fill out those Papers. <laughs> or the yeah. parents are illiterate and don't know how to spell, so they come up. Well, there's with... that too, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. Oh, and like, what's even more interesting than the first draft picks is the people that are just—they're not first draft picks. They're kind of like, what do they call those people? The independents that people yeah. can just pick. The names on those are. Oh my god, unbelievable. Somebody was named like Prior of Light something. I was like, wow. This is just like the most interesting bunch of names I've seen in America. And it's, well, it's I mean, like a really I just miss I miss the old the days of American football back when I used to watch it. <laughs> all the kickers were basically failed soccer players. <laughs> oh my god. What was it? Um that that stupid movie with uh oh god. Um Burt Reynolds was in the original. Oh, the um, replacement. Mean Machine. The, yeah. Yeah. Was that the? It wasn't the replacement. It might have been the replacements. Was the, the, that was a, the one? There was an American the, remake of Mean Machine and a British remake. Huh. The American there's a remake, British version with Vinnie Jones and you. You know Vinnie Jones. Yeah. Thug. Professional yeah. thug. Um, <laughs> soccer player. Sorry, soccer player. Honest. Yeah. Well, uh, they did a British say- version and a British set in a British prison where it was soccer rather than American yeah. football. But then there was an well, American remake as well. Yeah, so yeah well, in the American remake, Adam they, had the, they had an American remake, but it was it was a film that Burt Reynolds was in originally. And yeah. Keanu Reeves was in it, and I really do oh, think right, it was called yeah. The Replacements. Um, and their their field, their, uh, their kicker actually was i think a scottish guy he was from the full monty he'd go out there and kick the ball barefoot yeah <laughs> go out there smoking and drinking to kick the ball it was kind of fucking great to watch but yeah but back in it was 90s through to early 2000s when i used to watch american football and it was it was hilarious it's like and it's all these big burly guys but they need somebody to kick the ball who's the skinny european guy because <laughs> yeah, they can kick exactly. straight because, yeah, yep. people don't realize r- when they kick the ball in rugby, 
-hmm. It doesn't get lined up center line. It's wherever the foul took place, that's where the ball's kicked from. Nice. So some of the angles you see when they're kicking balls in rugby is amazing. <laughs> it's like, how's he? How did he get that ball through those two posts? <laughs> you know, you know when he's all, almost ninety degrees to the the yeah. gap. You know, you, you do realize this show's gone completely off the rails. Twice now, yeah. <laughs> At least. That's okay. Uh yeah, I did I did want to read this one and it's not too long and then we'll probably go off on something else, which is okay because it's like 8.40. The one you liked? I thought you liked almost everyone I stuck in here this time. Oh, uh, I did, but this, this one kind of hit some nerves too. Dad makes his son walk home, ends up in jail with child endangerment charge. Michael Tang thought his eight-year-old mile-long walk would fix homework problems, but the lesson turned out to be much bigger than that. Parenting is hard at the best of times, but it's especially tough when it is treated like a spectator sport by nosy neighbors and over-enthusiastic police. A California father named Mike Tang is the latest victim of society's unfortunate obsession with judging parents harshly for decisions we might not make ourselves. Tang, a chemist who was feeling frustrated with his eight-year-old son for cheating on homework, decided to teach him an important life lesson. That money is hard to earn, and slacking off at school can mean not having a home someday. Tang dropped Isaac off in a parking lot one mile from home and told him to walk the rest of the way. It was 7.45 p.m. in Corona, a city near Los Angeles, and the sun had barely set. Isaac knew the route and was familiar with using pedestrian crossings. When Tang sent his father to get Isaac after 15 minutes, the child had already been picked up by police, alerted by someone who thought he was in danger because he was alone. Tang was arrested and spent the night in jail, but the punishment did not end there, reason reports. A jury later convicted him of child endangerment, and the judge sentenced him to parenting classes and a 56-day work release program, picking up trash and doing other menial work. Tang has refused to serve the sentence, and when presented with the outstanding arrest warrant for his failure to comply, scribbled the following response in blue marker over the top. Fuck you all. Walking on a public sidewalk at 7.34 p.m. is not child endangerment. You are the ones violating my rights and rigged my trial by suppressing my evidence. I will be doing everything in my power to defy you. Whether we as individuals agree with Tang's disciplinary approach or not, it is ridiculous to believe that Isaac was in actual danger. As Lenore Sinansky of Free Range Kids points out in a five-minute video about this case, some might call the situation unusual or controversial, but it's certainly not dangerous. Corona has a low crime rate, and Isaac knew his way home. The problem is the moralizing that goes along with authorities' assessments of other people's parenting tactics. A fascinating study from the University of California last year found that people's estimates of the danger in which children are placed vary tremendously based on their opinion of parents' behavior, i.e. if a mother's absence is intentional or immoral, a child is perceived to be at greater risk than if her absence is accidental. Clearly, this had an effect on the outcome of Tang's trial. Court transcripts cite the arresting officer saying he wouldn't let his 20-year-old daughter walk home alone. This says it all about his approach to parenting. A true helicopter dad whose adult daughter presumably has fewer real-world schools than 8-year-old real-world skills than 8-year-old Isaac already does. And what if the officer's fears are logical? Then we have a bigger problem on our hands, and every parent should be outraged, defending our children's right to be pedestrians at reasonable hours of the evening. Tang has received an outpouring of support from people who have learned about the story, mostly through the video below in, in Ganancy's blog. He continues to refuse to pay the fine and hire a lawyer, which he says would be no victory for parents. 
In response to the many people asking how he would feel if something happened to his kid, he wrote, I'd be just as sorry and remorseful as if I drove him somewhere and got in a car accident. If I dropped him off at school and he was injured at a school shooting. But that certainly doesn't make driving him in a car or dropping him off at a school dangerous or lethal. Ganansky agrees with Tang's last point. Simply because some rare and unpredictable tragedy could literally happen anytime, any place, doesn't mean that a parent is wrong to trust the overwhelming odds that everything will be okay. We need to start talking about the danger of not leaving kids alone, of honeying constantly, of inhibiting the development of independence within reasonable limits, of potentially stunting the growth of resilience and what psychologists call self, self-efficiency, confidence in one's ability to handle situations as they arise. It will be interesting to see how this ends, but it is clear that Tang has no plans to go quietly. Yet again, back in the day, I was only taken to school up to age about six. From Mm -hmm. then on, I walked either way until I was old enough to be cycling either way. (laughs) (laughs) And 99% of the kids I know were exactly the same. I mean, you know, and you've got real world skills now, right? You know, Apparently, you, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, a lot of the I'm not afraid to walk around. As for the cop, <laughs> as for the policeman who said he wouldn't let his 20 year old daughter walk home, he's a policeman. Yeah. Shouldn't he be doing something about that? You think? <laughs> I mean, this is ridiculous, and this is why. Honestly, I don't watch too much TV, but. You know, every once in a while I'll come in and my mother will have some horrible fucking reality show on. And so the other night, she had this show on called um, Picked by My Parents. And it's this show about people who've been out there in the real world dating. And they're like in their 30s and 40s. And they can't make a decision. They don't, they, they want to get married. They don't want to be alone. And they can't pick somebody. So they leave it to their parents to pick the person they're going to marry. And they marry this person sight unseen. And my mother's like, late, like reading off this list of other shows, just mentally out of her head that do the same thing. And I'm going, that's fucked up. If you can't even pick a person you want to spend your life with, or choose to not spend your life with a person, it's a real problem. And that directly leads back to hovering around kids and not allowing them to have any freedom. I really think you would not have seen that same thing in the 80s or the early 90s. And you see it a lot now. It's actually quite common from what I'm told. Scary to me. That scares uh, me. Uh, all I can say is levels of stupid. I mean, <laughs> yeah, again, I mean, society has just become idiotic. It's, it's almost like I mean, society is parodying itself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like this couldn't have been... Society right now is basically the movie Idiocracy. Or the smartest person in the world has an IQ of 68 and is called by the stupid people around them retards. And the really smart people are required to fly the planes and stuff because they're too, they're too smart to do anything else. It, it, it's just, <clears throat> it's absolutely fascinating to me how we came from a society, at least in the 50s, where people were encouraged to be independent, to grow up, to think for themselves, to do things to go to school and go out and make friends and it's not like that anymore well that's the biggest horror 
of current society. They still say we're bringing kids up to be independent and free thinkers. (laughs) And they patently aren't. There's so many rules now, they can't be independent and free thinkers. Because as soon as they do something that's outside the narrow prescribed, this is how we do things, they're a freak and an outcast and... Yeah. They're in trouble and they're getting arrested for it. Yeah. And it's ridiculous. Margo, any thoughts? Did we lose Margo? Or we might yeah, have... She might have gone off to do something. I don't know. Okay. All right. <laughs> but but yeah, I, mean... I mean, society is, is really, really broken. Yeah, it, so it really is. Countries. I mean, it's, it's broken from a fundamental level. I mean,. And I think part of that is is the fact that people used to stand up at school and say the Pledge of Allegiance, right? We don't do that anymore, but we place all our faith in the government to be our parent, and that's not its job. You need to fix some things for yourself, but you need to be able to think for yourself as well, and that's sort of shunned. This is not healthy. Mentally the way we're living right now is not healthy. This is not a sign of a healthy society. It's a sign of a profoundly sick society. And I think you can tell. You can just tell. You talked about serial killers and the level of mental illness going up, and you're absolutely right. A lot of these things, I don't know how much you can say they're the fault of how society is or not, but a lot of them... I would say correspond to massive changes in our society that maybe aren't healthy. Yeah. Not just, you know, for the body, but for the brain. And you'll like this next statement. And yeah, part of it is the nannying of government. Too much government involved at every level of everybody's Mm -hmm. life. Yep. And it's now produced a society that can't function. Yeah. Correctly. Um. Yeah, and it's it's dysfunctional. Um, to a degree, I I didn't think possible. You know, I and I don't know, I don't know how you go about fixing that. But I, I do think when the system is this broken, families are this broken, school is this broken, society is this broken, and kids are this broken, it has to lead to some sort of reform, right? Something has to change. Whether it's dumping everything wholesale and starting fresh, which, you know, if they keep fucking around with the monetary system, won't be a problem, we'll all be doing that anyway. Or that there is no real sort of family structure in a lot of these countries. And people sort of rely on schools to perform the functions of parents, which is ridiculous and unreasonable. I I think there has to be reform, but possibly on a personal level much more before there can be one on a government level. Marco, are you back? Yeah, I must have had issues because my entire network on this end just went bye! Okay, well, it's it's not like you haven't had the weather lately. Yeah, it's still drying out from last week, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Thank God we've had two days with no rain and I'm doing a happy dance. Blame you. Don't yeah, dance. You that might bring the rain back. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't don't dance around with a frozen chicken. You know that could be construed yeah. as a voodoo ceremony for rain. Um, 
keep threatening but, to build an ark. <laughs> I, I was just saying that I think, did you hear any of what I was saying about the reality TV shows where people have their parents pick the person they're going to marry? God, I know what you're talking about. Oh. Well, I was saying, I think children are very hesitant and uncertain. And the fact that you can get to your 20s and your 30s without making any sort of decision and telling your parents you pick, that's a real problem. The society is profoundly sick. See, and that just absolutely... Um, probably about 15 years ago, one of the pharmacies I was manager at, we we always brought students in. Mm-hmm. A three-month stint behind the counter to see what it was really like. And right. this beautiful, beautiful girl. Um, just as sweet as could be, very bright. And we found out that when she finished school, she was getting married. And she was marrying someone she had never met because her parents had arranged the marriage when she was very young. Mm -hmm. person I had ever met in real life that number one that was happening to and number two she was actually happy with it it <laughs> it blew my mind you know I my parents forced me to go to a catholic school until I fought tooth and nail to finally get to go back into public school systems when we had a child Against the church's teachings, I'm like, sorry, not going to pick a religion for my kid. Uh, mm -hmm. Who you marry and what religion, if any, you choose is a very personal choice. And I think it's one that you should make all on your own when you're an adult. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, that, that's think, creepy shit. I think a lot of these people aren't, aren't equipped to be adults. That's because you know? their parents haven't taught them. Well, it's not just that. I mean, I was just saying, you know, look at all the things that government is doing to criminalize how you would actually parent your child. That's, it's stupid. It is stupid. And it leads to a profoundly sick society that needs reform on a massive scale. But the reform has to start with the parents in the family unit before it can move on to government, I think. Many of us remember being kids and you're outside playing you came home when you heard doors starting to open and you heard people's names being yelled get your ass in the house it's getting night <laughs> well so while i grew up in a rural setting it was still in a small town and that was it the, the standard rule for most kids was you've got well, you, you, you come home when the street lights start lights coming are on. on yeah yep. yeah. That, yeah that's that used to be standard yeah. all the western the, world yep. apart from certain countries that have light issues in the winter um, <laughs> yeah apart from their parts of alaska where it's like 22 hours a day of sun well i mean i grew up in a, i grew up in a town where in the winter you know sunset was before school finished so yeah <laughs> yeah lots of kids arguing over going out to play uh, in, in in that situation what do you oh, mean? Yeah. We can't go out and play. We didn't get home. From, it was dark before we left school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's so unusual to me. I mean, I don't have children, but it bothers me on a profound level, the 
lack of freedom that children have today. Yeah. It's no way to raise anybody and it's no way to raise an independent thinker or anybody. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and we we talk about all this stuff and in the same token none of us live in New York City. Mm-hmm. None of us live in LA. Right. Um and having said that if I did live in an intensely populated urban environment I did live in Chicago for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I you couldn't pay me to live there now. Um, I would be I would be terrified to let my child roam loose um, <sighs> in that environment because it has gotten to the point where. Uh, in in some cities, it's the fetal children that are the ones you're really scared <laughs> of. Yeah, exactly. You know, but there's answers to all this stuff and I don't claim to have them all. I don't think any of us claim to have them all. No. But I think the family unit would do really well to stand back and take a good look at itself. That wouldn't hurt anything at all. It'd definitely be a good place to start. Yeah. You know, personal responsibility and all that good Republican rah-rah does actually mean something at some point. You know, and I didn't mean to stand up here and preach and moralize, but that was actually not the dumbest thing Ronald Reagan ever said. No. I would actually consider that a libertarian point of view, too. Yeah, it actually kind of is. Well, American libertarian. There's hundreds of schools of libertarianism. Adam Smith's my favorite. It used to be the standard in the UK. It's like, you are responsible for your actions. That's it. <laughs> yeah. End of. It wasn't a political ideal. It wasn't a, a f- philosophical thing. It just how it, that's how it was. <laughs> but not anymore. And that's how it should be. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can remember, like, I knew society was starting to change, and I can point to something that told me that. I was a teenager. I used to watch Married with Children. And a police officer came to the house to talk to Al Bundy. And he's standing there and he's whining and he's crying and he looks at him and goes, it's not my fault, officer. I I was abused. And they give him a pass on it. And yeah, that was a parody of something. But yeah, that told me that society had changed when we were all laughing at it. But I didn't realize it was going to progressively get worse. It's gotten more than worse. It's, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, on that... On that happy note, yellow cake. <laughs> On that happy note, yellow cake. And oh, I know. I think we should play Muppets and in an ad for how to get cheap ammunition. <laughs> Why do we always come here? I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next Monday. We're actually going to talk about the nature of reality and, and quantum physics, so this should be 
This should be fun. I bet this show gets two or three downloads. Have a great week. See you next uh, Friday.